This summer, Coors Light wants you to retire, even if it's only temporary. Take a break from your nine to five for nine holes of golf. Trade those spreadsheets for a bingo card. Or swap your office chair for a water aerobics floaty. This summer, welcome to temporary retirement. Coors Light, made to chill. Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. Well, it's Oregon, Washington week. We got big guests this week on Wednesday's show. Who do we have? Well, we got Dan Lanning, Oregon football coach. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State coach. Softy from KJR in Seattle will be joining us as well. We got a, a big lineup Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and we got a great show for you today. I want to start, though, with something that fell through the cracks on Monday's show. We talked about it just a little bit. But there seems to be an outrage out there about Shador Sanders the Colorado quarterback, maybe demonstrating some immaturity, pointing to his watch, flexing in front of the Arizona State students section after beating the one and four Arizona State Sun Devils on Saturday night in Tempe. It was a closer than expected outcome. Maybe not the best game to showboat a little bit. But was it poor form by Shador Sanders? in that moment and as you look around college football I think Mario Cristobal's debacle over the weekend choosing to run the football instead of take a knee and take the victory he'd be undefeated still Mario Cristobal's debacle stole the spotlight for the weekend Shadur Sanders flew under the radar I think there were some other things in college football that flew under the radar Last week, we had Utah quarterback Cam Rising coming out saying, hey, it wasn't just an ACL tear. It was an MCL. It was a meniscus tear. Uh, This is a significant injury, basically a complete reconstruction of his knee. And now some speculation in Salt Lake City about did Kyle Whittingham misrepresent the injury to Cam Rising or were they trying to, out of respect for Cam Rising, not talk about the injury is it a privacy thing or is it a strategy thing as it pertains to utah football a lot to unpack here a lot to talk about and steven i want to start the show today by asking poor form mario cristobal or shadur sanders or utah football in what looks like to some to be a cover-up i have some opinions on that when it comes to the injury to Cam Rising, I'm still not sure if he's going to go this week. Utah saying it knows what it's going to do, but is it under is under no obligation to say publicly what it's going to do. Poor form, biggest uh, violation. Where is it? Um, uh, biggest violation. It has to be Cristobal. I, I don't have a problem with Shador, to be honest, John. I really no do- problem at all. No, none. No, like that's that's what they've done since they took over Colorado. They, they've been out there. They've been brash. They've been, you know, 
you could say braggy, but confident. Um, and that's kind of what they do. They've been flaunting off all the money they got, how fun it is over at Colorado. You know, think about when uh, Dion came in. You know, he, he was talking about bringing in his own luggage. He's got the Gucci luggage. That That's what they do. They flaunt it off. So I I expected that out of Shador. I, it wasn't surprising, and it's kind of caught on to be a thing. This is it's just one of those trendy things. So I don't really don't have a problem with Shador doing that. Now, it's not the best look. I will agree with you that it's against Arizona State. But me personally, I expected Shador to do that if Colorado gets any type of win. He's going to go off and show off that watch and try to make that his little thing. I, I I'm going to push back a little bit because – I think it was poor form, but I'm also looking at him and I'm saying, hey, 20, 21, 22-year-old kids who are playing quarterback in the Pac-12, let's look back to last season even. Caleb Williams painting his nails, having F Utah on his fingernails during the championship game. Kids do stupid things. And I will call a 20, 21, 22-year-old college quarterback a kid still because I can remember being that age and doing dumb things. I don't think it was the best look for Shador, but I'm not fist-clenched standing out on the front lawn like a lot of people are, you know, making it, uh, you know, like like there's been a violation of, uh, you know, of uh, the uh, ethics of college football because Shador Sanders jogged down to the end zone and gave it back to the Arizona State fans a little bit. I do feel a little uncomfortable with some of the criticism of Shador Sanders because it's it feels to me, I, I, I'm going to crawl out on this limb. There's a racial undertone to some of it. And I, and I wonder if there's a disconnect with age. Like, is it just older people don't kind of understand that, you know, that you know, you got baseball players in the Major League Baseball playoffs that are pointing to their wrist, and Damian Lillard waving goodbye after hitting that big shot over Paul George and pointing to his wristwatch. You know, it's Dame time. It's my time. Uh, you know, we're in an era where it's become more acceptable. It's not what I would tell my kids to do if they were celebrating. You know, let's say one of my kids grows up to be a tennis player, and they're on the tour, and they're celebrating a win, and they you know, flexing by pointing to their wristwatch. I'd be like, come on. Is that what you really want to be about? But, but I, but I also kind of I give them a wide berth, not because of the reasons you say, like they've been doing it all along, but because there just sort of is a we're in an era of expression, and we're in an era where athletes are thinking about their own brands. And I think it was a bad move for Shador Sanders because I don't think he looked great in it. But I'm going to defend his right to do it, and I'm also going to point out, like I kind of feel like it's. There, there's a racial undertone to some of the criticism of it, and I just don't know if there was Bo Nix or if it was a, a player who wasn't a black player if he would be getting the criticism that he is. Am, am I out in left field by saying there's a racial undertone? No, here? I think there has there has been a racial undertone to the whole Deion Sanders thing the whole time, um, whether people want to admit it or not. And I go back to this one, John, like the whole – remember Baker Mayfield was at Oklahoma. He went and they planted the flag at Ohio State. Some people had a problem. Some people said that was the best thing ever. But at the same time, that's disrespectful as well if you're going to say Shador is disrespecting Arizona State. So, like, it, that that could be the racial part of it as well. Like, I'm with you. Like, I, you know, my kids are growing up, and my kid plays basketball. He plays soccer. He plays all these sports. And he's like, oh, yeah, Dad, you know, I'm going to make a shot, and I'm going to celebrate. Well, I, go, I tell him, like, no, you don't, you don't do that. It's not a highlight. It's not YouTube. This is real. Like, you got to play basketball the right way. you got to play the right way, not celebrate and rub it in other people's faces. So, I'm with you. Like, I would never teach my kids that. But you know what? They're probably going to do it at some point. He's going to make a shot, and he's going to look at the crowd and celebrate because that's what kids do, and they make bad mistakes, and they got to learn from it. I don't even necessarily think Shador's making a mistake. I just think 
that's just kind of his personality, and it has caught on, like you're saying. It's not just Shador that's doing the whole watch thing. This is going, like, nationwide in sports now. It's caught on to be a trend, to be a really cool thing, and so you know, for that, I'm all for it. I'm for him, you know, expressing how he wants to feel and make Colorado be what they are, because they've been the most talked-about story in college football so far. I don't love it. I don't love what I see happening. I don't love when Angel Reese is saying, you know, making the I can't see you, know, see you uh, uh, gesture in Caitlin Clark's face and, and uh, you know, walking off to her national championship. Like, I want her to celebrate with her teammates, and that's what I would do. That's what I would tell my kids to do. But I kind of understand, like, Angel Reese didn't invent this game. Shadur Sanders didn't invent the game. Uh, Caitlin Clark was taunting, you know, two two games earlier in the NCAA tournament. And, and it's, you know, again... It's either for you or it's not for you. But I can remember, if you go back to last football season, I was at Research Stadium late in the Oregon State-USC game, and USC had gained control of the game. They were up 17-14. It became evident they were going to win. And I was down on the field, and the USC players started to celebrate, and they started to taunt the fans. And when the game ended, after they shook hands, three or four USC players went to midfield at Research Stadium and pretended to body surf on the logo they dived, they dove across it. Uh, you know, a few years earlier, I was at Husky Stadium when Troy Dye and, uh, you, know, you know, got on the middle of the field and did a snow angel on the Husky logo at midfield after the game. And, you know, players do these kinds of things. I can't imagine the uproar that we would have if Shadur Sanders had gone to midfield at Arizona State and performed a snow angel on top of the Sun Devil uh, logo. Like, it, people would have lost their minds. So I think some of it is... There's a exhaustion that people have with Colorado and Colorado getting the attention. Certainly the shine has come off the program, losing to USC, losing to Oregon, you know, to all, all they can do to not lose to Arizona State. But you look at the television ratings of the 10 highest-rated games for this college football season, and Colorado's played in five of them. And I was kind of doing a little bit of quick math on the back of the napkin looking at, you know, the, the, the amount of viewership. Viewership in college football is up. It's up, and it's particularly up on the Colorado games, right? It's going through the roof. There's, these are not all college football fans who are tuning in to see Colorado. There's some new audience that is turning on the television on Sunday, or excuse me, on Saturdays, and watching Colorado play football. And it's, you know, I don't want to go down the Taylor Swift rabbit hole, but the NFL embracing Taylor Swift, they're embracing her because she's bringing new eyeballs and new fans to the game. Colorado's bringing new eyeballs and new fans to the game. Without question, Colorado's been good for college football. It's been great for Colorado. It's been good for the Pac-12. It's been good for the TV networks. This is all positive byproducts. So I pump the brakes a little bit when I see criticism of Shadur. Like, I could have told you in the summer after our interview at Pac-12 Media Day that he wasn't mature. Like, there was some hints of immaturity in that interview that we did with him. And I, I left that interview thinking, gosh, is does he have the maturity? Does he have the wherewithal? Does he have is he a leader? Like I, I was asking myself those questions after the interview. And we saw some hints of that in the Arizona State game. And certainly at the end of it, I, I just think it was bad judgment to go over and mock the student section. They're one and four. You barely beat them. Get out of the stadium, go home. I think his dad would probably tell him that. But I but I'm gonna give him a pass there because again, we're talking about twenty one 20, 21, 22-year-old kids who got taunted all game by other 21-year-old kids who's walking down there to give it back to him at the end. Like, scoreboard, you know, it's my time. And and so I get that. And I do think that Shador's going to continue to do it because 
it's like I said, it has caught on. You know, in the NFL this past weekend, Brees Hall, Garrett Wilson, they were seen doing it. Uh, Devontae Adams, when he was walking into the building on Monday Night Football, he did it. Chet Holmgren in basketball for the you know, NBA preseason last night, he got an and one. He threw up, the, you know, the watch flex. Like, it's a celebration now, and so I do think, like, it's just one of those, you know, trendy things that catches on with sports, and then all of a sudden, you know, high schools are going to start doing it, college guys are going to start doing it uh, for basketball when that comes around, and football is going to continue doing it. So I just think Shador, you know, he started this trend because they were the most watched thing. Everybody was watching Colorado, and they were winning, and they were most talked about. So, like, this stuff is going to happen, and if it wasn't Shador, it would have been something else. It would have been, you know, someone else making some type of celebration that catches on all across sports. The only thing that gave me pause was, you know, we saw his dad turn the sunglasses into a market marketing opportunity in week three of the season when, you know, Jay Norvell, the Colorado State coach, said, I take my hat, I take my sunglasses off. All Coach Prime did was go, opportunity, and he pivoted that into, hey, you can get these sunglasses for fifty nine ninety nine, and they sold out. And I, I kind of wondered when I saw him raising the watch, my time, whatever, I kind of wondered if there was a marketing ploy that was wrapped up in it and maybe Colorado just got off the rails a little bit with it. I don't know if that that was the case, but you know, the weekend was, you know, you're right about Mario Cristobal. The weekend news was dominated and I still can't wrap my head around it. Steven, like when you look at what Mario Cristobal did on Saturday, like that was shocking. Unbelievably shocking. And I know that it's being brought up like the whole Oregon Stanford thing, John, but I find this one so much more different because at least in that Oregon game, there was a chance where, you know what, if they did run the ball and they didn't fumble, Stanford was still going to get the ball back. In this game, that's not what happened. In this game, what happened was Georgia Tech called a timeout with a minute 18 left. It was their final timeout. Just do the math. 40 seconds on the play clock. 40 plus 40 is 120. And they had 118 left. All they literally had to do was down the ball and win the game. There was no reason to even run a play. Like It, it blows my mind that... There had to have been someone telling Mario, hey, down the ball, win the game. And he said, no, we're going to run the ball because that's what they've done all season. They have it down the football. They kept running plays. It blows my mind that the ego that maybe he has on this is like, you know what? We're going to try to run the score up and get as many yards as possible. That got in the way, and I'm glad they lost because of it. Because, you know what, that, we talk about playing the right way. That's not playing the right way. Like, that is obviously not trying to play winning football. Glad they lost because of it. Like they just had to do simple math. It was forty plus forty. Oh, they got enough time. Let's just down the football win. They decided not to and they lost. I, I I like I know you said it's not necessarily fireable. If I played for Miami, I don't know how I could trust that guy. I do not know how I could go out there and play for Mario Cristobal and trust him and be like, this guy knows what he's talking about. He he was brought there to recruit. He was brought there because he's the native son. He played in the program. The boosters wanted him. The key boosters who were backing all the NIL collectives wanted him. They saw opportunity to build something at Miami that could be reminiscent of Jimmy Johnson, uh, reminiscent of Dennis Erickson, get back to the national championship picture, return to your roots, you know, Russell, Maryland, and uh, and all of that. And so he's there to recruit. He, you know, we know we knew at Oregon that Mario Cristobal did some things in the course of game management that were wonky. He wasted Justin Herbert's time and talent. He preferred to run the football versus throw the football. He struggled all along with clock management. He had numerous issues with clock management. Sometimes they would come out of a timeout and they would call another timeout. They did that at Stanford, uh, you know, in his last season. And and so they, there was just weird things 
that happened with him as it pertained to clock management and game time. Now, I was never listening on the headset. I don't know this for a fact, but I often watched Crystal Ball on the sideline and got the impression that he wanted to be involved with everything. And I think that was part of the problem. I think Marcus Arroyo and Joe Moorhead, the two offensive coordinators, often had Mario Cristobal telling them to run the football when they wanted to call a regular game plan. And so they were sort of at his mercy in in calling uh, the game. And I know that he had a win over Stanford in his second year at Stanford. I believe it was like a 20 to nothing win. He was really happy with that win. And there were other times, like the Red Box Bowl that he won at the end of his first season, they play Michigan State. There was a drive in which they ran the ball like 13 times in a row, I and, and they got points on the drive, and I tweeted something out like, Mario Cristobal smoking a cigarette on the sideline right now. And I was joking about it, but it's true. That's the stuff that 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 got him going. That's the stuff that got his juices flowing. Like, he wanted to run the football. He's an old offensive lineman. Plant his cleat in the ground, drive him back. He always talked about physicality, talked about winning at the point of attack, winning in the trenches. And so there was a part of Mario Cristobal's persona that was on display, I think, on Saturday night when they're playing Georgia Tech. They're dominating Georgia Tech. They're winning the game. They're, they, they've got 25 first downs to 12 first downs. Yardage, they've doubled them up on yardage. It was a dominating performance except on the scoreboard. And we saw that too often at Oregon where Oregon would dominate statistically, but be ahead by, like, you know, eight points. And we'd go, gosh, like, they should be ahead by four scores in this game. And and so it was just the way that he coaches, the way that he wanted his teams to play. I think it cut down the margins to the point where, like, you got fewer possessions because he wanted to run the ball, he wanted to control the line of scrimmage, he wanted to wear the opponent into submission. And, you know, during the pandemic in 2020, and I wrote about this, Mario Cristobal was going nuts. He wanted to play, and the Pac-12 wasn't playing games. And I found out that Mario Cristobal went out and started training in mixed martial arts, like he was doing it for workouts. And he scheduled himself a sparring bout. I don't know who he fought. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was somebody else at the gym. I don't know if it was a friend. But Mario Cristobal got himself a fight, and he want you know because he needed competition. He needs that for the adrenaline part of it. And, you know, when I asked him about it, he downplayed it. He kind of denied it, but didn't really deny it. And he didn't want me to write about it. He didn't want to talk about it. Like, he wouldn't, you know, he really wouldn't give me anything on that subject. But I think when we are watching him refuse to take a knee, this may seem wild to the rest of us. I think there's some part of Mario Cristobal's persona that has a hard time taking a submissive stance He's all about power. He's all about dominating the opponent. He's all about, you know, putting you in a submission hold. I've literally seen him joke about it, talk about it, talk about mixed martial arts. I think there's a part of him that doesn't want to take a knee. And it sounds like a weird thing because winners take knees all the time. They get in victory formation and they take a knee. But there's some part of Mario Cristobal's persona, I believe, that is much more comfortable running the ball one last time, knocking you on your backside, and then standing over you. It, you know, And I think that was on display in the Georgia Tech game. And, and here's the other thing that's kind of wild. Like, when you go back and look at the replay of the fumble, I actually don't think the guy fumbled. It looks to me like he's down before the ball comes loose, 
and the football gods simply punished Mario Cristobal anyway because he left it in their hands. Do you think the runner was down? Yeah, he looked like he was down. As a, you know, if I'm trying to be un, as unbiased as I can, you know, I didn't bet on the game, so I can be unbiased. I think on that, and it looked like he was down, but. At the same time, it's like I said earlier, I'm glad that they lost that game. I, I hate when coaches make these type of decisions. Even last night, Monday Night Football, Josh McDaniels can go for it on a fourth and one, end the game. He decides to kick a 53-yard field goal, and they miss it. I wanted the Raiders to lose so badly in that game because that is such a terrible decision, and I'm tired of seeing it. You know, football, especially NFL coaches, but there's some college coaches that make these terrible decisions and losing, you know, they want to lose. It's like they don't even try to win these, these football games. It drives me insane, John. And so when Cristobal's running the football when he doesn't have to, you just kneel it, it drives me nuts. So I'm glad that they did not reverse that call. They just, you know, had it play stands. And you're right about 2018 against Stanford. All right, there's 59 seconds left. Uh, they had just run a play on first down that got seven yards. It was a run play by C.J. Verdell. So here you got second down and three, and you're at the midfield. Stanford has one timeout. So if you do the math on that, Oregon runs the football. Let's say Oregon takes a knee in that situation. They take a knee in that situation, and Stanford calls timeout. You're going to have to punt on fourth down with about eight seconds left on the clock. So Mario Cristobal was facing having to punt. Now, you could kick the ball out of bounds. Yeah, you, could, uh, you could turn around and kick the ball sideways. You could have the punter hold the ball. You could do anything but have the punt blocked, and you're probably okay. And by the way, if you take the knee, Stanford has to burn the timeout, so Stanford doesn't have the timeout, even if you know your punter muffs the ball and falls on it you still got Stanford with no timeouts and they're not in field goal range and so you know there was a lot of problems with what he did in 2018 he should have taken a knee or had the quarterback take the snap and just kind of you know do that little stammer where they don't quite go down until a defender gets around them you could have ran that twice with Justin Herbert and you might have been able to run the clock out but what you couldn't do is fumble and so he hands the ball to C.J. Verdell C.J. fumbles and guess what? Stanford recovers at midfield, and Stanford has a timeout. And that's the problem. It wasn't that Stanford got the ball. Stanford had a timeout and the ball. And so Stanford was able to run three plays, including two pass plays, and then kick a field goal. And so, you know, it, Mario Cristobal can go back and go, hey, you know what? The right move was to run the football there. Maybe, but maybe not the right move to put the ball in the hands of an undersized back, you know, or maybe just have your quarterback kind of, you know, quarterback sneak it twice. I don't know. And also this week, this past weekend, John, I mean, it's not like Georgia Tech had it at midfield. They had to go 75 yards, and they did it in two plays with no timeouts. I mean, that's just, if that's not coaching, I don't know what it is. I, I think you're right about that. I also think that Mario Cristobal looks sick after the game. And I would be very surprised if he didn't take a knee the next time he gets in that position. But I, I said it, I wrote this, like, in his first season, because it wasn't just the Stanford game. He had multiple games where he had clock management issues, where he either didn't get points or he did something that was situationally wonky. And I wrote and said, you know, for all the analysts and the assistant coaches and the graduate assistants that Oregon has, why is nobody in that staff charged with just clock management decisions? Your only input is to push the button and weigh in when Mario Cristobal needs you in the final two minutes of each half or situationally because otherwise you're calling weird timeouts, you're running the ball or passing the ball or running plays to the boundary when you shouldn't be. There's just weird stuff that he did throughout his tenure that suggested to me that he was either stubborn or 
not paying attention to what was going on with the clock. All right, coming up, we're going to talk first about UCLA and Oregon State. TJ Mathewson, our insider here at 750 The Game, is going to join us to talk about the Beavers, what's going on at practice. We've got Punch and Audio, Bruce Barnum later in the show. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr. as well. you got the BFT today. Leave it here. Oregon State hosting UCLA on Saturday, Research Stadium. That should be a hell of a game. If it were at a neutral site, I'd probably pick against the Beavers. I'm leaning Oregon State at this point of the week. We'll find out. We'll lock our picks in later in the week. But Oregon State will be playing uh, a big-time home football game on Fox, 5 o'clock on Saturday. Here to talk about it, T.J. Matheson. He is the insider at 750thegame.com. Does a uh, fantastic job writing and reporting about the Beavers. Guy who is checking in at practice and keeping us updated on Oregon State. TJ, uh, how's Oregon State feeling this week? Well, they got to be feeling good because they played this type of game just two weeks ago against Utah, and you saw how that happened. The, the Beavers at home, what is it? I think it's 14 of 15 at Research Stadium, just playing into their strength, which at home is, has been defense. They haven't needed it to be perfect, but when they look across the other side and see another team that might only allow 14 to 21 points. It's like, okay, this kind of plays into our strength, though, because in the time I've been here, at least a little bit over two years now, I haven't really seen many teams score that efficiently on them, especially with Trent Bray at the helm at defensive coordinator. So they, they got to feel like stylistically this is, this is a good matchup for them since they just played a team that's very similar to this in Utah just two weeks ago. Dante Moore might be a little bit – better of a quarterback than the, the situation that Utah rolled out a couple of weeks ago. But he's had his struggles in his freshman season, and I think Trent Bray and his defensive group just did not like what they had at California, and they're going to want a lot better. Yeah, the offense played really well, and DJ Uyengalele in particular was better than he had been in recent weeks. Is the quarterback chatter this week, has it subsided, or is it still out there? What, what, what's going on on that front? Some people just love to talk about it, unfortunately. It's it's kind of annoying to talk about, because especially after last week, I'm not sure what else DJ is supposed to do. They're scheduling these drives for Aiden Travis, especially in a game like against Cal, who the, the Golden Bear is able to score 40 points on that Beaver defense. And it's like, well, what, what if Aiden goes in there and he screws up? And you want to – and it perhaps throws DJ out of rhythm. I mean, DJ talked this week pregame. He was like, uh, or after the game, he mentioned this. He's he's just going as like I, I just knew like once the game started, I'm, I'm locked in. I'm going to have one of the best nights of my career, and he absolutely did have that night. But you know, he has two drives. The Beavers score on both of them, and he gets yanked out for for Aiden Childs out of that script, which is kind of weird to be honest. Um, the ch- the chatter though, I, I think it has subsided for the most part. I I never try and engage in that type of chatter. I, I host the post-game show down here, and especially after the Washington State game. I mean, it was just flooding in about, you know, it's time for Childs. It's time for Childs. It's time for Childs. And I'm, I'm just like, I don't get it. Like, why invest this much time into your quarterback and the resources they probably had to land DJ here just, just to switch him? I and mean, I know the coaching staff doesn't think that, but to, for some people to, to see that, it, it, it's, it's kind of odd. But I think it's, I think it's quite a down. Yeah, I like seeing a little bit of Childs, but I, I get what the coaching staff's trying to do. They're letting him dip his toe in the water, letting him kind of get comfortable. 
let him get a meaningful series here or there. Uh, you'd rather do that than, you know, if in, in the event of an injury, you just throw a guy cold into the game. Uh, ben Goldbrinson on the sideline. I feel bad for that kid, TJ. I mean, yeah, he, I he did nothing wrong. I saw him coming off the field at Cal, and he's still got a good attitude. He's on the sideline. I mean, you see him at practice. You see him around. I have just seen nothing but professionalism and good attitude from him. We haven't gotten to talk to him in a couple of weeks. I'd, I'd be curious what, uh, how exactly is. I'm sure everything we would see, upbeat, positive. You know, he's already graduated, too. He could have left. He easily could have left and gone somewhere else and, and probably started. He, he has the resume. Seven wins, uh, led his team to a bowl game and a bowl win last season. Some programs would absolutely take that, but I think he, not speaking, you know, from any any inside sources of, of how Ben's thinking, but I, I feel like he's just here to enjoy the ride pretty much and enjoys really working with his quarterback room. Because I think of, if, if it was otherwise, I, I think he would have left. I, I think it would have been too easy for him to see how it was shaking out of the fall, and the NCAA allows you, if you want, to leave. And he, he's still here. And I'm sure Jonathan Smith, Brian Lindgren, and company are grateful that he is in case someone gets hurt and maybe Childs isn't ready to play a full game and they just want someone to go in there and run the offense and feel comfortable running the offense. He, he's still there as that option. There are some teams in the conference that you know what you're going to get on offense or you know what you're going to get on defense on a given night. How frustrating is it that we just – don't have that sense about Oregon State at this point of the season. Could be a great offensive performance. Could be a little bit of a clunky performance. Could be a bad defensive performance. Could be a great defensive performance. It just seems like they haven't quite found consistency, rhythm, their best version of themselves. It comes down to identity, really. I had this point brought up to me, and I, and I, and I agreed it, and I, I really didn't even think it. We think of the Beavers as a, as a running team. And they've been very successful running the football this season. I mean, top 16 in the country in yards per carry. And they'll volume run the, run the ball, too. But they bring DJ in, and the idea with bringing DJ in is so that your passing game is better. And Jonathan Smith talks about balance this, balance that. We need to be able to throw the football if, if possible. And there are some games they have needed to throw the football. And the, the quarterback consistency – at least, let's say the Washington State game was not there. DJ had some planned overthrows. He had some throws he just flat-out missed. And it kind of threw the offense in a rut. I think having a multi-dimensional offense is a good thing. But when you don't always execute all facets of the offense, which we've seen from the Beavers this season, it's hard to stay consistent. Now, when everything clicks and you have a great offensive performance against Cal and DJ has five touchdown passes, and you still run for a ton of yards on the ground, then it all works great. But the problem is it, it just hasn't been that smooth in both facets so far this season. I think, you know, there, there's been some interesting moments. You know, Anthony Gold has a 75-yard touchdown against San Diego State. Then he maybe disappears for a week or two. He comes back, makes some phenomenal catches in the Cal game. Uh, Josiah Irish has become a player that you have to account for Obviously, um, you look at Silas Bolden. The playmakers at the wide receiver position and the tight end, you get Jack Velling going last weekend, feels like the the receiving and the tight end room, plus the offensive and defensive linemen catching touchdown passes, that, that element of the game doesn't seem to be a concern at this point. 
It doesn't. They really do have playmakers. I, I never thought coming into the season that they would have a problem being explosive on the outside. If there was only one thing you were going to look at that this group lacks, it's a little bit of size. I mean, out, you look at the top two, top three receivers out wide, Josiah Iris, Silas Bolden, Anthony Gould, not the biggest guys out there, but you get the balls, ball in their hands, and they make things happen. Silas Bolden's performance in the Utah game is probably the best performance I've seen by an Oregon State wide receiver in the three seasons I've, I've covered this team. And Anthony Gould, I mean, it, it seems like in that moment, I, I wrote about Silas on 750thegame.com, and, and I was just thinking about Anthony Gould because he's who you probably thought was a slight edge of a number one receiver coming into the season. It's like, oh, well, Gould, is he's been good. He really hasn't had his moments besides that tunnel screen you mentioned he took for a touchdown. And then against Cal, He's out there just making plays. Doesn't matter how big the DB is on him, and DJ just floats a couple of beautiful third down passes to him, and he lays out and makes a catch. And we were talking to him today. And he's like, you know, I, I don't even surprise myself anymore. I expect every ball that hits my hands to make a catch, and it, it, it just reflects the confidence this group has, despite potentially some of the limitations they have. They have managed to produce against some of the best in in the conference, I and mean, they've. They scored on Utah. They made plays against that Utah defense when they absolutely needed to. Their guys were making plays. Jack Velling against Cal with three touchdowns. It was, I would say, schemed open a little bit on a couple of them. But regardless, it's been refreshing to see that they have the versatility in the offense and they don't have to throw to just one guy, although that would help. Having an Isaiah Hodgins back, I'm sure Jonathan would not complain if that was the case. But – Overall, I, I think the uh, the diversity of that group is good and a strength of this offense when it all clicks. Damian Martinez and Deshaun Fenwick kind of doing the same thing, aren't they? I mean, you, you aren't seeing one guy end up with 200 rushing yards. It's like, you know, they're good for 85, 88 yards a game. And that's so important because this year you thought you'd have Jim Griffin in there and to, to come in on third downs, pass blocking downs, and more or less once when – because it's, pro- it's going to happen when somebody gets hurt. Running back is just such a brutal position where s- some week one of these guys might not be able to play, and, and they're going to have to go uh, to Isaiah Newell, and then after that it's the walk-on guys. So I think balancing that, it, it's important for their health, but it's also important that they both continue to produce, like we saw Deshaun against Washington State. If you have conf- the equal amount of confidence in both those guys, it really doesn't give you any worry who's in there on, on any given down. And we've seen that reflected and allows the Beavers to run the football as much as they do without wearing down their running backs that they really need to keep healthy throughout the season. UCLA, what do they do that scares you if you're Oregon State? Well, it's that, that front seven. I, I know lots of you. I, I haven't gotten to look, look into UCLA all that much. But that defense, I mean, talk about a battle of strength versus strength. They're, they, I think it's still under two yards of carry which is just absurd against the front seven. And Utah, when they, they came to Corvallis, had similar numbers in the Beavers. Overall, didn't run the ball well that night, but on the first drive they did, and I think that really did set the tone of the Utah defenses. Yeah, we mean business. So I think it's just another matchup of strength versus uh, for Oregon State and running the football and strength on the UCLA side, who's really good on all three levels. But defending the run, I mean, they are just incredible and that's UCLA's best shot of winning that football game is they're able to bottle up Damian Martinez and, and Deshaun Fenwick as well. So there's a lot to like there with UCLA 
uh, on the defensive end. Not something we're used to seeing with Chip Kelly, but I'm sure he's not complaining. Oregon State hosting UCLA on Saturday, 5 o'clock on Fox. TJ Matheson with us, contributor at 750thegame.com. You can also catch him uh, as part of the post-game show on Oregon State uh, football. He obviously does KEJO, uh, 1240 AM in Corvallis. And you're at practices, uh, you're at the games. Uh, give me a sense, uh, by the way, Arizona State grad, right? Cronkite School of Journalism. Yeah. Hey, let's go back for a second, because i got to ask you this. The student section at Arizona State gets into it with Shador Sanders. You know that student section. What is that environment like on game day? Cool. It really depends on the week, because sometimes at the end of the game it's empty. And, you know, I'm guilty of that. But I, I thought it was interesting, because it's a matchup of, you know, the two first-year programs, two different styles of coaches, Kenny Dillingham, you know, a young buck, who comes in from Oregon and it doesn't have all the hype and flash of, of Deion Sanders. And it was a game, I would say one of the more, one of the more crucial home games in terms of interest and just two first year programs trying to prove it against each other. And the game played out that way. It was extremely close. I never knew the ASU student section in in my time being there ever to be that nasty. I think it might've been a little bit on, both sides it, it, again probably never helps with Colorado always being in the headline if they're always going to be in the headline then even the students who don't really care about football all that much and, and just want to go to the games you know they're going to read about it a little bit more and know more about the team and know about who's playing quarterback and maybe they let Shadur know during, during the game I don't know I, I, I would assume someone said something and the reason he felt the need to go over there and do that I don't think it's really that big a deal but uh, it was funny I did get a lot I did get a chuckle out of that all right, T.J. Matheson, I appreciate you joining us to talk about UCLA, Oregon State. Thank you. All right, thanks, John. All right, there he goes. UCLA traveling to Corvallis, where Oregon State is a favorite in that game. Home favorites in the Pac-12, 27-1 this season. I'm picking at least one road team to win. Steven and I are going to talk about it. Leave it here. Dan, I got a haircut today. I only bring this up because you know that she's come on the show before and she's complained that when she gets a haircut, I always say the wrong thing. I never, I never, it's one of these things that's taken me years to grasp. Don't say too much when she walks in with the haircut or color done, okay? Don't say too much. And you have to say something. You can't say nothing because she's looking for that feedback. And so, um, in prior years, I've said stuff like, wow, look at your hair. It looks great. What happened? You know, not a good look. It's the second part that always gets me in trouble. Or not noticing that she's done a color to the hair. So today, she's, I, I, I knew she was going to get her hair cut or colored or whatever it was. And, uh, and I'm not a hair person. I mean, look at me. Come on. Uh, but she, I said to her, because I knew she was there, I said, well, how did your hair come out? So she sent me a selfie, and I replied, stunning. That's it. Stunning. That's the right answer. It's taken me years, decade plus, to get that right. Stunning. That's the right answer. This could be a Seinfeld episode. When your significant other gets her hair done, I don't care if it's a color, I don't care if it's a cut, you don't, all you say is one word, and it must be positive. Stunning. 
That's the way to do it, Stephen. It's the uh, it's the old less is more, right, John? Like, I mean, because it's like a lie, right? Like, if you're going to tell a lie, you can't get too in-depth about it because then you get to get caught in more and more lies. you got to be very vague, very uh, very just blunt about it. Yeah, stunning, great, you know, amazing, look great. You know, That's a great job by you, John. I'm glad that you figured Typically, it out. I don't know, 15 years to get that, 16 years? I don't know. Hey, that's sooner than a lot of guys. <laughs> I, I just think, and here's the thing, I actually thought it looked stunning. And I just said to myself when I saw it, okay, don't make this mistake that I make every other time. One time I said to her, I love that you went dark with your hair. And she was like, I actually lightened it. <laughs> okay, don't do that. Uh, too much information. TMI can get you in trouble in those scenarios. But she doesn't so, want to go yeah. overboard and be like, oh, you, this is the best you've ever looked. Or nah, you, know, nah, the, you, you look so good right now. It's just amazing, stunning. You know, Because if you go overboard, then she's like, okay, now he's just lying and he's just saying this to be nice. And it really, I did think it was a good haircut. I, I, I like dark hair. And so I like when she does her hair dark. And so when she, uh, when she sent me the picture, all I was looking for was, is the hair dark? And then um, I just said stunning. And, and that's all I have to say. Now, if she listens to this radio segment, she might then go, oh, you did this or that or you were just saying that. But it's not true. I just th- I thought it was stunning. And I said that and I was so proud of myself. And I said, you know, there's the key. It's a one word answer. Don't talk yourself into a rabbit hole. One word answer. That's it. End of discussion. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the, the road teams in the Pac-12 this week. The home favorites in the Pac-12 this season are 27 and one. Okay, home favorites 27 and one. So, great example on Friday night. Colorado is at home playing against Stanford. They are a home favorite. They're probably going to win that game outright, right? You like Colorado? I like Colorado. Stanford's not very good. Maybe it's closer than we. Uh, you know, probably expected weeks ago, but uh, still like Colorado as a home favorite in that game, and they should win that game. So the Pac-12 will probably head to the weekend with home favorites being 28-1 and in, in winning the games outright. And let's talk about the matchups a little bit with that context because Stanford's going to be a 10.5-point road dog going to Boulder, don't see them winning that game. Really curious about the TV ratings on a Friday night with Coach Prime involved, so keep an eye on that one. Second game of the weekend is Cal at Utah. Utah's a 13-and-a-half-point home favorite. No telling if Cam Risen's going to play. Rice-Eccles Stadium, though, too tough of a place. I think Utah wins that game. I think the Pac-12 will be 29-1. and What do you think is more likely of an upset, though? Stanford over Colorado or Cal over Utah? I would say Stanford over Colorado. I agree, yeah. I think Stanford can, the way that Stanford plays, I think that that could be a fewer possession game, which lends itself a little bit to an upset. Um, Oregon is at Washington. Of course, the game at 1230 on ABC that everybody's going to be watching. Washington, that spread... Opened at three and a half, dropped to three, two and a half now at some places. I actually think the road team's going to win that game. I think right now, if I have to pick the game, and I won't give my official pick till later in the week, right now I think Oregon's the better team. I think they're more balanced. I think the Huskies are really good on the offensive side. I don't think they played anybody. I think Oregon has a chance to be just the second road dog to win in the Pac-12 this year. Ooh, ah, I uh, yeah, I. 
I don't think you're wrong. Uh, you know, Oregon, top 10 in scoring offense and in scoring defense. They're one of two teams in the nation to be that. The other team is Georgia. So we look at that Oregon defense, and we've seen it with our eyes. The eye test, they pass it. And now the stats test, they pass it. But they haven't played a team like Washington. So I'm really curious to see how they react um, to that high-powered offense up in Seattle. I think right now I'm still leaning Washington. Uh, mm. But I could talk because at the start of the week, I, you know, Monday, yesterday, I was Oregon. Now I'm back to Washington. I was I, Washington yesterday. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I think we're, I, I'm going to go back and forth with this all week. I, this is going to be a great game. That's all I know. Uh, but right now, I think Washington, I, I love what Penix does right now. I'm leaning Washington, but tomorrow, uh, ask me again, it may be a different answer. If this game's at Autzen Stadium, I think Oregon's like a four or five point favorite. I agree. I agree. I think it flips that much, and I think it, I think the home field matters that much, especially in this rivalry, especially what happened last season. I think it just feeds into the Washington craziness and those fans that they know, like, hey, we can beat this team. We did it last season. Let's do it again. All right, so there's a road team that I have winning, a road dog. All right, another road dog that could win. How about Arizona playing at Washington State? Arizona's an eight-and-a-half-point favorite at Washington State. A little bit of the shine came off Washington State last week. Arizona showed they can score. That's an interesting game. And, And by the way, I don't think Jaden Delora is going to play quarterback for Arizona. I think they'll go with Tafita, and I think Washington State-Arizona could be a little bit dicey. Uh, you know what? I actually disagree with you. I think Washington State is going to come back, and they're going to get back to where they were. Um, I, I think UCLA is that good that they're just going to make teams look look you know average on offense. And I think against the Arizona team, Washington State up in Pullman can score a lot. I think Washington State wins this game, and they're going to cover that game, uh, cover the spread, and win by two scores. So I, I disagree with you on that. I think Washington State actually bounces back. I'm leaning Arizona in the points right now. USC, not a conference game, but they're at Notre Dame. They are a road dog playing at Notre Dame. There's another one. UCLA at Oregon State. UCLA's a road dog. Who has the better chance over, to Over under one and a half road wins. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say over. I think there's Ooh, gonna be okay. two road underdogs that win games this year or this week. Sorry, uh, but the trend is it your friend or not? We'll find out this weekend. Coming up, punch and audio. Bruce Barnum later in the show. B F F T. From the Pack West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. Here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Yeah, hostile can be fun. You know, I think this one will be one of those those environments where we there's going to be a lot of distractions, a lot of uh, you know, a lot of pieces going on outside the puzzle. But we really focused on being the eye of the storm, the calm within the storm, and uh, I think our guys will handle that well. Dan Lanning, speaking about the Washington Oregon game, twelve thirty Saturday, ABC television audience. Game day will be in Seattle. I'll be in Seattle. A lot of eyeballs on the number seven. Versus number eight matchup, two top ten teams. Should be a fantastic game with two great quarterbacks. I wrote about Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr. today at johnconzano.com. Their first meeting happened at a high school passing camp seven years ago. And here they are, rivals. Not by really their choice. It wasn't like Bo Nix grew up a Duck fan and Michael Penix Jr. grew up a Husky fan. Hell, they grew up in Alabama and Florida. We talked to both of them in the summer at Pac-12 Media Day. Got a pretty good idea of what they're about, who they are. They will face off on Saturday 
at Husky Stadium. Dan Lanning had more to say. So did some others. It's all part of Punch It Audio. Let's go. Giddy up. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Let's start with Chip Kelly, UCLA football coach. He's talking about the Beavers. UCLA traveling to Corvallis on Saturday, 5 o'clock on Fox. Here's Chip Kelly giving a scouting report on Jonathan Smith's team. Punch it. Yeah, I think their whole offense is a strength. You know, they just put 52 on a really good Cal defense and Justin Wilcoxon. And Peter Sherman can coach defense, and they, 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 they were rolling in that game. You know, they put 35 on Washington State. Lost their only loss of the season, but um, they're balanced. I think DJ's playing really, really well. I think their play action game off of um, off of their run game is something that you really got to be prepared for because you just can't gang up on the run game. Um, they got speed up receiver, you know, they, they, they can stretch and get down the field. So it's a complete offense, and you, you have to defend everything. You have to defend the run, you have to defend the pass, um, you have to defend really talented wideouts. They got a bunch of tight ends that they roll through there. So you know, it would be a distinctly different than what we saw last week in the Washington State game. You know, this, this is this is, uh, this is big boy football. Big boy football, says Chip Kelly. Jonathan Smith, three times in his career, has put 50 on a Pac-12 opponent. Of course, Saturday night was the most recent occasion. DJ Uyunglele completed eight straight passes between the first quarter and the third quarter. Had five TD passes for Oregon State. Damian Martinez getting 5.2 yards a carry. Everything looks really good on the offensive side for Oregon State. Can they keep it going? How big was it that, because we talked about this, DJ throwing the ball downfield. He did that a few times against Cal. How big was that to show that to UCLA and to make them prepare for that this coming week? Hell, I think they were just worried about trying to win the game, right? But, yeah, I mean, it's a byproduct that UCLA's got to you know, nobody can. The thing with DJ is, you can criticize him for being inconsistent or a little bit erratic, or maybe he's not as accurate as some quarterbacks you've seen in the past at Oregon State. But he's good enough to hurt you if you try to put too many people at the line of scrimmage. And he's got receivers in Silas Bolden, Anthony Gold, and now probably, you know, any offensive or defensive lineman who's eligible, <laughs> Isaac Hodgson. Catching a uh, touchdown pass in the game. Uh, you you now have an offense that can hurt you if you put too many people at the line of scrimmage. Brian Lindgren, coordinator at Oregon State, trying to keep it going. He talks about UCLA's defense. Punch it. Well, obviously they got great scheme, you know, but um, to me, the, the, the front seven, the personnel, I mean, they're uh, big size, uh, eating up blocks inside, and then the edge players and linebackers, um, long, athletic. Uh, you know, get off one-on-one blocks. Um, yeah, just a, just a really uh, talented front seven that's going to be a big-time challenge for us. UCLA got Washington State off the field. Get this for a stat. UCLA ran 97 offensive plays on Saturday against Washington State. Washington State ran 59. That is a 38-play advantage. It's the most plays 
that UCLA has run on offense in the Chip Kelly era. And they ran at least 15 more plays than Washington State did in every half. Really strong performance. I still am not sold on Dante Moore. Completed 50% of his passes through two interceptions. He'll make a dumb mistake here and there. But really good showing for UCLA, which has limited their last two opponents, Utah and Washington State, to 7 and 10 points on the offensive side of the ball. Keep an eye on that. Colorado hosting Stanford on Friday. Travis Hunter going to play. Coach Prime says, could happen. Punch it. There's a tremendous chance he could play. Uh, it, it goes by how he looks, how he performs in practice, how his win is. Wind. Um, he has to be in shape. I don't want him to be a liability. I want him to always be a tremendous asset. And, and Travis, uh, he came to me yesterday morning saying, what? more can I do to help us get to the point that we need to get to so I love the team aspect of Travis 100% but I, I, I hope he can play is he just is he uh, sandbagging a little bit there or uh, is Travis Hunter going to play I think Travis Hunter is going to play he, he was out there practicing yesterday looked good uh, from the videos that I saw I, I We've talked about Travis Hunter, the competitive spirit he has, man. He just wants the ball. He wants to play football. So I think he gets out there. Uh, maybe it's not, you know, it's not the 120 plays that he was playing early in the season, John. But I think, yeah, I think he gets out there for some of it and tries to get the back in shape a little bit because Colorado's going to need him to make a bowl game. They're four and one right now, or four and two right now. I still think it's going to be tough to get to two more wins. And I've been big on Colorado, but to get to six is going to be tough. They need him down the stretch. Look, Colorado got by Arizona State last week. They get Stanford at home. This is a great opportunity for them. Colorado's 3-1 and one in one-score games this season. That's remarkable to me for a team that is coming in under a new head coach, a lot of change of culture, 3-1 and one in one-score games. Shadur Sanders, 239 yards passing last week. He's completing about 60% of his passes. Rushed for a touchdown. Big opportunity against Stanford at home. The sooner they can get Travis Hunter back and healthy in the lineup, the better they are because they are going to need him down the stretch. Pivoting a little bit to Pac-12 basketball, it's Pac-12 Media Day in Vegas. Kelly Graves and Scott Ruick talking at Basketball Media Day. Here's the Ducks women's head coach Kelly Graves punch it yeah I really like my team I, I think we've got well we've got a lot of new faces um, but we've got a nice blend of some experienced transfers coming in I think will really help especially at the point guard spot and uh, you know and some some really talented young kids uh, excited I think we're kind of a little bit more like the teams I like to coach a little blue collar uh, really competitive and uh, in the past that's done well for us Blue collar says Kelly Graves. I, there's a there's a lot of concern about what is going on at Oregon and Oregon State as it pertains to play on the court and maybe some programs like Oregon and Oregon State that had been dominant for a while who have taken a step in the wrong direction. It's being blamed on the pandemic and the transfer portal. So it's interesting for me to see the transfer portal turn up as, you know, Kelly Graves is using the portal to his advantage here. I think it's a pretty important year for him and the program. 
They need to move in the right direction. Same for Oregon State and Scott Ruick. They were young a year ago. Talked about a lot of new players. And now here comes Oregon State, picked 10th in the Pac-12 Conference. Here's Scott Ruick talking about his team. You know, I'm really excited. We we had so much momentum built, um, you know, I think eight years in the tournament, um, you know, and then COVID happened, um, and we took a step back, no question. And and now this group is reestablishing the culture that we had and their competitors like we've had and their expectations are what we've done and and so because of that i'm extremely optimistic i love them i think we have all the pieces that make a great team and you know we need to grow together scott ruick needs to put it together he's got some good players needs depth would like to see them take a step back towards the top of the conference when you talk about the conference you know you're talking about stanford you're talking about cameron brick you're talking about uh, lisa peely at uh, utah uh, but you know he's got he's got Reagan beers. Scott, you know, coming off freshman of the year, sixth player of the year. Like to see the women's basketball programs at Oregon and Oregon State both take steps in the right direction. Some uh, funny out of Mike McDaniel, who, by the way, is quite a joy in a news conference. Miami Dolphins coach. Responding to a question to a reporter who said, well, I'll let the reporter speak. Punch it. You guys have now gained more yards through five games than any team in NFL history. Can you hear something like that? What is your reaction? Um, mission accomplished. We had the whole time, the whole offseason, that was our goal was um, output after five games. Mike <laughs> McDaniel. Our entire goal was the output after five games. Uh, also, here he is talking uh, uh, about um, the locker room and the celebration that happened after a victory over the Giants. Took it upon yourselves to work, okay? And I can already feel the team. This team does not care about the score. We're happy about the victory. We're going to celebrate that. And then understanding that literally it does not matter what opponent we ever play. We are building week by week. And you guys know how hard that is. A really uh, grounded, realistic, man-to-man conversation from Mike McDaniel. He's kind of a cool guy. I want you to compare that to to the to the speech that Dan Campbell made in the Detroit Lions locker room. More than one ways to skin a cat. Punch it. You know what I love? I love when you guys indirectly tell your coach, Coach, relax, we got it. We got it. All right. That's exactly what you guys did out there. You know what good teams do? They don't give a play. They don't care about the environment, who's playing for them, who's playing for us, what the records are. When you smell competition, you show up. And you guys just proved it again today. You did what you're supposed to do. You did exactly what you're supposed to do. That's what good teams do. Did what they were supposed to do. That's what good teams do. Uh, It's interesting to hear him in contrast to Mike McDaniel. And, of course, there's more than one way to do it. But just funny to me to hear it that way. Meanwhile, 
little bit of fallout coming off uh, Sunday night football. As the 49ers boat raced the Dallas Cowboys. First of all, Micah Parsons saying that George Kittle made it personal. 49ers with a 42-10 win. Punch it. George Kittle had three touchdowns on us, and he posted this thing to IG. He said, F Dallas. I just feel like he's making it more, way more personal than it had to be. Kittle's my guy, but I'm going to say this. Laugh now, cry later. We got something for that. Just trust. If we see them again, just trust. And we're going to put it just like that. I ain't going to put too much on it. You're going to make it personal. We can make it personal. That's cool. You didn't sound like you were that close on Sunday night, but Debo Samuels issued a response to Micah Parsons. This is the era we're in. Punch it. How you know, personal it was already, is it? It was already personal before the game started. Now, um, 42 to 10, I don't think you like want to see us again. It might be a little bit worse. Wow. Debo. I don't know what we trust. Micah. <laughs> Micah, Debo, I don't, I don't know what to say. I'm getting uncomfortable. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what we, we trust. We trust, you know, just laugh now, cry later. I mean, I don't think you want to see us again. <laughs> Here it is. Micah Person says he wasn't going to say it anywhere else. Did they unfollow each other on Instagram, too? Was that the other <laughs> part of the story? I don't even know. It's just silly. This is the era we're in. Got dominated on the field. Take the loss. 49ers aren't going to win them all, are they? They might, but they don't, they're not going to win them all. They're not going to go undefeated. I, Dallas has a lot of work to do. And I kind of feel like more than Dallas losing on Sunday night, wasn't it an indictment of Dak Prescott? Wasn't, weren't there moments in that game? where everybody was thinking the same thing, like kind of some overtones of Jimmy Garoppolo going on with the Dallas Cowboys. Like, hey, he's good enough to get you to a certain point, but is he the guy? Don't you don't you feel that way with Dak and Dallas? Yeah, like is he really a difference maker? I don't know that he is. Like he's a solid quarterback if you have the perfect team around him, but – I think right now, even Brock, and I'm not even a big Brock Purdy guy. I think he's definitely more talented than Dak Prescott is, and more of a more of a guy who can make plays than Dak is. So yeah, I'm with you 100. percent Skip Bayless calling Damian Lillard petty. I'm here for it. Punch it. My point to Dame is this: You say everybody knew I wanted to go to Miami. We didn't know for sure. It got reported, but you never said it until now. Why would you say it now in hindsight? Where is the win in that statement? It gets you where you, you obviously hold some sort of bitterness or grudge with Portland. Just keep it to yourself. You got out. You got what you wanted. You didn't go to your preferred destination. You just went to, to the guy that a lot of people think is the best player in the whole league. And he badly wanted you. He was out front on the record. I need him. What's the, what is the issue? What's the problem? Why should you pick at Portland? It's, it's petty. You're petty. It's beneath you. I, I've told you guys that Dame can be a little prickly sometimes, and he's got a big ego like all of them do, but he's still rubbed a little wrong way. He wants to, to take it out on Portland in an NBA series radio interview. Okay, it, to, to what end? Where, where did it get you except it's going to irritate your new teammates Oh, you really? You you wanted to go to Miami? Okay. I, I I disagree with Skip a lot, but not on this one. Where's the upside for Dame? He's telling his current teammates that they weren't his first choice. They weren't his prom date, his preferred prom date. 
He's taking a shot still at Joe Cronin and the Blazers. It's time for Dame to move on. Get over it. Like a lot of Blazer fans who loved him and rooted for him moved on. Didn't hold it personal when Dame said he didn't want to be in Portland. But, uh, yeah, I don't get the upside here. Steven, do you see a silver lining for Dame saying, hey, I wanted to go to Miami, damn it? I don't. I, and it hurts me that I agree with Skip Bayless, too. But, like, I tweeted that out, like, man, maybe my take is wrong because I agree with Skip. But, like, he's not wrong <laughs> on this one. He's not wrong on this one. Like, Dame never said, he came out and said, I want to go to Miami. And then there was reports that he didn't even want to go to Miami. And now there's reports afterwards saying he was willing to go back to Portland. Nobody knows what he wanted. And now all of a sudden he's acting like we should have all known it was Miami or nothing. I, I mean, come on, man. You go into the Bucks. You're going to the best situation in the league. You're on the betting favorites to win the NBA title, and he's still not happy. I, just, I don't know. Get over it, man. I also think there's a fair question buried in this. We were talking about this yesterday, and I, and I think there's there was something left unsaid yesterday in our conversation about Damian Lillard and whether he was honest or wasn't honest, the loyalty. Is there a difference between Lillard saying, I want to retire a Blazer, and then asking for a trade, and the Blazers saying, we'll help you get to Miami, but they don't help him get to Miami? Uh, there, no. Is there a difference there? No, I don't think so. I don't think I don't think so. I I think a lot of Blazers fans might think it's different, but I I don't. I agree with this that statement 100. percent Dame didn't have to sign that extension to play in Portland if he really wanted out that badly. Guess what? He didn't have to sign the extension, and he'd be a free agent next season, and there'd be a way more opportunity for him to go wherever he wanted to. It, the loyalty thing gets brought up a lot in sports. I think the the primary loyalty that Damian Lillard had was to Damian Lillard. And I think he's now faulting the Blazers for being loyal to themselves. If he was drafted by New Orleans, he would have been loyal to New Orleans. If he was drafted by Sacramento, he'd be loyal to Sacramento because they can give him the most money. Like, I agree with you. The loyalty thing was a little overblown, and I do think that Dame was in for Dame. Now, I'm glad he's going to Milwaukee. You have a real chance to win a championship because Portland never put those guys around him. But he just looks, it looks, it's a weird look on the way out here. I'm not glad. I'm not glad. I'm not glad for him. I mean, I I don't know, nor. Not any more happy for him than I would be for C.J. McCollum or somebody else, you know, winning a championship. Like, you know, I'm just curious to see how it goes for him. Does he, does he uh, become a good complementary player to Giannis, or does he struggle in that role? Is you know, is this the marriage of, you know, we've watched this successfully happen, and we've seen some nightmare. You know, you watch Philadelphia trade for a bunch of guys and they don't work. You watch Houston trade for guys, and it doesn't work. You know there are cases that work, and some of them don't. And I'm not sure wh- what this is going to end up being for Damian Lillard. Finally, a hilarious exchange between James Franklin, the Penn State head coach, with a media member. Talk about coaches getting frustrated. I'll let you enjoy this one. You can take the music down because I think you're going to settle in and enjoy it. Here's James Franklin. In a, in a hilarious exchange with a reporter. Punch it. Hey, good afternoon, James. Hey, Corey. A follow-up to what uh, you were just asked there about Drew. Is there a balance, though, between, hey, we need you to throw the ball deep no matter Just take a shot. Don't, don't overthink it. Take a shot. We need to see it. We're going to call it. And, and we need you to get some confidence in doing this as opposed to even giving – a young quarterback the chance to say, hey, just check it down if, if, if it's not there. I, I don't really 
understand what you're saying because we would never like I'm like my skin is curling when you say just drop back and chuck it deep no matter what like like that is like I, I don't even know what you're I don't know what you're saying it's like you're speaking like from Mars just send the guy in a post pattern take the shot throw it no matter what give your receiver a chance to make a play on a ball uh, even if he might be covered 30 yards down the field Maybe you think he'll be open 45 yards down the field and, and like Godwin did or with Jahan or KJ. We, you, we've you, ne- we, like, like, I still don't, like, you're speaking Japanese. Like, like we, we have never done that. Just throw the ball up and maybe he'll be open and maybe he'll catch. Like, my skin is like, like, my, I'm, my, I'm, like you're making me uncomfortable. Like I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. So okay. yeah, we 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 would not do that. We would never do that. We've never thought about doing that as a head coach, as an offensive coordinator, as a receivers coach. I coached the receivers. I didn't want them to do that. Um, so no, no, strong no. Like yeah, no. Is that a no from James Franklin? Uh, that's one of those cases where, as a member of the media, you're in a news conference, or you're on a conference call, or you're listening to the coach's show, and questions are being fielded. And as the question is getting asked, you're going, oh, this is going to be bad. And it takes just the right combination of ridiculous, absurd question, combined with coach just being fed up talking about the subject, to give you a beautiful moment like that. But that was a beautiful moment. Coming up, uh, fun fact or nah, we'll play it again. I'll tell you how inexperienced I am as a gambler, okay? Degenerate gamblers, get ready to laugh at me. I had had played a uh, two-team parlay over the weekend, and I'm not a heavy gambler. I'll dabble here, dabble there. I generally will start with, like, a low amount of money and go, okay, how many... How many wagers can I win? What can I build this into? It's kind of a game within the game, right? And I started with this NFL season. I just started with $50, okay? And I said, what can I build this into? And I kept betting on the 49ers and the Chiefs and the Eagles and occasionally the Dolphins. I bet on good teams. And I would parlay them together even though I was getting kind of crummy odds on the money line or whatnot. And I built that up to like $700, okay? And then I started betting on bad teams and because I was bored. And I would be like, oh, so-and-so is playing right now. The Steelers are on right now. Oh, the Raiders are on right now. Oh, you know, and, and all of a sudden I started losing. Well, I, I made a vow, I think, last weekend. I told Steven, I think it was before last week and after Thursday night football, I said, uh, I'm only betting on good teams from now on. So I went on to DraftKings. And I did a two-team parlay. I took the Niners, who were minus three and a half, and I tied them to the Kansas City Chiefs on the money line to win. And uh, I didn't even pay attention over the weekend because I knew that the Chiefs would win, and I didn't pay attention. And I all I worried about was the 49er game on Sunday night, and I saw the Niners were winning big, and I thought, okay, that's a win. And then I went into my DraftKings app, and I saw that that it showed the wager is still open. And so I screenshotted it, and I sent it to Steven. 
It, before I go to customer service at DraftKings to complain, I go to customer service on this radio show, and I said to Stephen, like, what am I missing here? And Stephen, you astutely pointed out uh, that the uh, the game that you bet on, the Chiefs and Broncos, is uh, this Thursday. It has not happened yet. <laughs> I thought it was, because I didn't look at the dates. I thought the Chiefs and the Broncos were playing on Sunday. So I just assumed the Chiefs would beat the Broncos. I didn't even look at the score, and I damn it, I wanted my money. It's like and I told I, you, it's just a, you're going to get your money. It's just delayed a couple days. You know, just you know, a couple days of shipping right there for you. I don't know. The only consolation is that I didn't go to a customer service at DraftKings because I was all but there, going, "Why are they not paying on this thing? Why are they not paying?" And Stephen very quickly was like, "That game hasn't been played yet. That's why you haven't won the <laughs> well, bet." It was funny because I Idiot. I was looking at my phone. And I was looking at like like what what am, what am I missing here? And I figured it out. And I just started like giggling and laughing and smiling. My wife's like, "What are you laughing?" At? I was like, "Oh, Kanzana's being an idiot. He uh, he thought he yeah. won a bet and he didn't." Yeah, here I was, victim of the the the, the man got me. You know, the, the DraftKings got me. And then, uh, as you look at it, plain as day, it says that game is being played on Thursday, October 12th, and game has not been played yet. I needed to complain to DraftKings. Hey, pay me already. <laughs> you, now, know, you know what's going to happen. You know they're going to win. Just might as well just pay me now. The only reason I did that wager was the Niners at minus 3.5. I want to say that the, the odds were minus 125, even with the points involved. And I was trying to get that down. So I said, how do I get that down in a way that is not a risk? And I said, oh, Kansas City on the money line against the Chiefs changes that bet to even money. So I was like, oh, okay, I, could, I can tie these two things together. And unless the uh, Denver Broncos upset the Chiefs on Thursday, I'm going to end up okay. But that is the risk that I run heading to Thursday, and it shows you what an idiot I am. Now, the Pac-12 puts out uh, some fun facts every week, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give a twist on this. Greg in the research department at the Pac-12 generally doesn't put out the fun facts until Wednesday, so I went looking for it and said, "Why are these things? Why wait till Wednesday?" And so Greg said, "That's how we do it." It comes out on Wednesday. If you want it sooner, do it your damn self, more or less. So I decided that I would come up with this week's fun facts or nah. And, Stephen, I want you to let me know if I do a better job than Greg in the Pac-12 research department because he's going to come out with his tomorrow. And here we go. Are you ready? Fun ready. fact or not? I'm ready. This is, I'm excited about this version. Okay, yeah. And, and by the way, I'm not going alphabetical. I'm just going in the order that I wrote these down, okay? So I'm starting with USC because it was most interesting to me. Here's a fun fact. Caleb Williams rushed for three touchdowns versus Notre Dame last season. It was a career high. Well, he matched that career high with three rushing touchdowns last week against the Arizona Wildcats. Those are the only two games in Caleb Williams' college career that he has rushed for more touchdowns than he has passed. Fun uh, fact or yeah, not? Yeah, that, that is fun. Because, uh, you know, I think of Caleb Williams as a dual threat. Like, I don't think of him just as a thrower. I know he can run the football as well. And he's not, you know, he always looks to pass the football, but he's not afraid to take off and run. So I would have thought maybe there was a game where, he, you know, I guess he, I guess it would have been 2-2. Two and two. So, yeah, I'll give that a fun fact. 
So there you go. You got Notre Dame this week again. Uh, I think it had to do with the way Arizona was playing him, too, though. They were dropping a whole bunch of guys. They were taking away the, you know, they were basically daring him to run the football, and and USC didn't. So the game went to three overtimes. Uh, quite a quite a game. Let's go to Arizona since we're on the subject. Uh, how about this one? Noah Fafita, the quarterback at Arizona, he threw for 300 yards, 302 yards, and five touchdowns. That five touchdowns was the most passing touchdowns all time by an Arizona quarterback against an AP-ranked opponent. Fun fact or not? Nah? Um, no, I no because <laughs> USC's defense isn't Come good. On. Like we knew, we knew that the, the Arizona was going to be able to throw the football. We knew they were going to be able to score even with backup quarterback. I, I mean, yeah, like it's it's interesting, but I'm not going to go with fun. I'll, I'll say interesting, but not fun. Moving on. Let's go to the Colorado Buffaloes, who are coming off a big win over Arizona State. They'll be home against Stanford this weekend. Moving to the Colorado front. Colorado beating Arizona State at Arizona. Snapped a 10-game losing streak in road conference games. Ten straight they'd lost. Fun fact or nah? Um, nah, I'm not going gonna, gonna to say not fun fact as well on Jeez. that one, John. I'm playing hardball here, but no, I mean yeah. it, it's a different team. It's a different squad Tension. with Colorado. I mean, I, basically anything that happened in years past with Colorado without Deion Sanders there it doesn't even count anymore. It's a brand new era. So, you know, eh, I need to hear something about this team this year. Moving on, Arizona State has lost seven straight conference games. By the way, they've allowed at least 24 points in each game. The longest conference streak in history at Arizona State is eight straight games. They have a chance to match that. Fun fact or not? Yeah, I'll go fun fact on that one. Um, Arizona State is really... They, they've been okay in some games, but they've been really bad in other games. I don't know what to think of this team. Like, I, you know, They're fighting for Kenny Dillingham, but at some point I feel like it's really going to bottom out and I imagine they're probably going to lose uh, lose again, and that streak is going to you know be a new streak this season, and it's going to be a brand-new school record. So I'll go fun fact. Oregon State moving on. Oregon State's 5-1. Five and, five and one. It's their best six-game start since 2013, but that's not my fun fact. My fun fact goes to this. DJ Uyunglele threw five touchdown passes. He's the first Beaver since Jake Luton to throw five touchdown passes in a game. By the way, Jake Luton did it twice in 2019. Fun fact or not? I think the I, I will say fun, but only because I think Jake Luton gets slept on of how good he actually was at Oregon State. Yeah, that yeah, guy, because he, he had the scary injury at Washington State, and they thought, well, maybe his career is over. And then he bounced back, and he had a nice season. Uh, ended up getting drafted by the Jaguars. Like I, I think I, I'm gonna go fun fact because I, I like the Jake Luton part. That that was fun to me. Moving on to the Cal Bears. By the way, Cal um, lost the time of possession. They lost the yardage. They lost in first downs. Everything went bad for Cal as it pertained to defense. But I want to talk about Cal's offense, okay? Cal had the most points scored in a loss since 2017 in managing 40 points in a loss to Oregon State on Saturday. Fun fact or not? Nah? Fun. Fun fact. And I'm, I, Cal has a sneaky, decent offense. 
They've been good in a couple games. I talked about the game against Washington when they lost, uh, you know, by twenty plus points. But they had over five hundred yards in that game. They had over, you know, had almost four hundred fifty against Oregon State. This Cal offense isn't terrible. So I think later on in the season they may be able to sneak up on some teams if that defense can play at all. And and the fun part about this one is John is Justin Wilcox. He's a defensive guy, and it's the defense that has been failing Cal all yeah. season long. So yeah, I'll go fun on that. If I had told you they were going to score 40 points, I think we both would have said they win the game. Like I Cal's, no, Cal, I, yeah, you know, They were going to win that game. Uh, moving on to Washington State. Washington State, uh, by the way, had a bad offensive game against UCLA. Only uh, 2 of 13 on third downs. They were 0 for 7 on third downs of 5 yards or longer. This was a team that was getting better than 50% conversion rate on third down in their first four games. But let's talk about the fun fact or nah. Cam Ward, Washington State quarterback, had a streak of 161 pass attempts without an interception to begin this season. It ended against UCLA. Fun fact or nah? Nah, that's that's not a fun fact for me. Um, I mean, it's tough crowd. <laughs> uh, you know, it it's a good fact. It's a good fact that he you know he's really taking care of the ball. We've seen the growth, but. You know, uh, you know the, the competition hasn't been the best of Cam Ward, and a lot of it was at Pullman. So I think it's more the fact that he's on the road against a really good defense that it's going to happen. So, I, yeah, I'm going to go with not on that one, John. This one I got to frame right. I, I realize now I got to sell them to you better. <laughs> you're, you're an easily influenced audience. Okay, so here we go. Uh, I already gave you the fun fact earlier that, that UCLA ran 97 plays, 38 more plays than Washington State in the football game. I'm going to pivot to a... Sneaky fun fact about Dante Moore, freshman quarterback at UCLA. Okay, he's, he's only started, what, five, six games? Dante Moore tied his career high in passing touchdowns on Saturday by throwing one against Washington State. Fun fact or not? Nah? <laughs> that is... Uh... That is kind of fun, actually, because, because I when I think of Dante Moore and I've seen him play, it's explosive plays. Like, he's had some really good plays that he's had, but to only have one touchdown in the game, yeah, that is, uh, it kind of blew my mind a little bit. I'll go fun, yeah. All right, all right. Here's a fun one. Bo Nix, quarterback at Oregon. He will meet on the football field against Michael Penix Jr. on Saturday. It's not the first or the second time that these guys have met. In fact, they met seven years ago. Bo Nix tells the story. Um, but you got great respect for him. Um, like Michael Penix, you know, we were um, at a Tennessee camp back in 2016 together, uh, just yeah. camping, like yeah. just going and, oh, hey, I'm Bo. What's up? I'm Michael. And then next thing you know, you're rivals. Yeah. And then you're playing right. against each other after yeah. you went to separate schools. Yeah. You're both at so, different schools. Exactly. Yeah. And then um, you transfer and you end up playing against each other. So it's a small world and crazy how life does that. Crazy how life does it. Fun fact or not nah, that these guys went to the same Tennessee camp had no idea one would go to Auburn, one would go to Indiana. They'd both be miserable where they were. They'd leave. They'd end up in the Pac-12 conference at rival schools. Fun fact or not? Nah? Yeah, that's uh, that's fun because the the fun part about it, John, is like the way Bo Nix describes it is you know they didn't know each other. They go to this camp, and all of a sudden, because they both go to this camp together, they are rivals automatically. Like that's how competitive these guys are, and it really shows on the field. Like these last couple of years of how good they've been. Like, they automatically just hate their opponents, but they respect them at the same time. So, for me, that that's the fun, most fun part is 
just I love the competitiveness that both those guys have, and they both acknowledge it, and they both respect each other, but it's like, man, I want to kill you at the end of the day. I want to win this game. So I'm down with that, man. I'm, that's fun. Last year, Washington football had a fantastic season. Obviously, they were successful on the field. 11-win season. Everybody raving about them. I was like, they're playing the best football of anybody. How can they not be in the conference championship game? Well, I'll tell you how. They didn't have to play certain teams. There's no Utah on their schedule. There was no USC on their schedule in 2022. People forget that. They lost to UCLA. They lost to Arizona State. Fun fact or nah, Michael Penix Jr. and the Huskies don't have anybody to blame but themselves in 2022. In fact, Penix owns it. Yeah, it hurt a lot, but um, we left it in somebody else's hands, and, and we can't do that. You know, we yeah. got to win. We got to win all our games so that uh, it, it's a no question for us. So um, we, we still going to remember, and we still got that chip on our shoulder. Fun fact or not? Fun fact. Nah, I, basically, you could sell me anything on Michael Penix, and I'm going to say it's fun. Yeah, I love that guy. I think he's so good, and I love what Caleb DeBoer does with him. And they, It's going to be a fun game. Fun game up in Seattle, John. So that's the most fun part about it is you know, they own it. And they, you know, it's not about Oregon. It's about themselves, and that's the way Oregon thinks. It's about Oregon, not about Washington. So I love both the competitiveness of both these teams. It's going to be a fun game. They had to play one game last season. They had to beat Oregon, and they did on November 12th. They beat them 37-34. They didn't have to play against Utah or USC, the two best teams in the conference last year that ended up in Vegas. 11-2, and great season, but let's frame this correctly. Washington's on quite a run, but also they got to skip some of the hard teams in the last year. They don't get to skip Oregon on Saturday at Husky Stadium. We'll talk about it coming up. Yeah, I don't have to do any of that with Bo. You know, he's a pro. He, he it, it, Again, and it wouldn't matter who he's competing against. When he steps on the field, he knows what he wants to do. He knows what he's capable of and uh, how he can perform. You know, I think this is why guys like Bo come to Oregon to get to play in games like this. So um, the, this moment certainly isn't too big. I don't have to give him any encrypted message. Bo, go out there and do your thing. That's all i got to tell him. Meanwhile, Kalen DeBoer at Washington. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't, ha we haven't had that. We didn't have that last year. Um, I think when you're an alum and you move on, I think those are the guys you got to pull back, you know, because uh, they just wanted to continue on uh, so badly. And that, you know, when you don't have control, right, those are the times when I think you really get amped up. And, um, you know, when you're done playing or when you're not coaching anymore, or if you're a fan, um, you don't have the control, you know. And uh, I think from our standpoint with the players, um, they just know that, hey, do everything we can, control everything that we can control, you know, take care of business that way. And uh, I have no doubt that we'll, we'll leave it all on the football field on Saturday. It's going to be fun. I, I, I love this. You know, I'm not a coach on either side. I'm not a player on either side. I'm not a fan on either side. I'll be in the press box covering this game. And I'm going to have a smile on my face because I love these big, meaningful games between two good teams, two great quarterbacks, both undefeated, both top ten. I mean, this is everything the conference wanted when they scheduled this game and they stuck it in week seven and they put a bye week in front of it. They got game day to come to Seattle, this is going to be phenomenal. And I keep going a little bit back and forth, Stephen, like you do on who I like in this game, who I don't. And I just keep coming back to, I think Oregon is the most complete team in the conference. I think they are more balanced. I think they're better on defense than Washington. 
I think they're almost as good an offense as Washington, and in some ways they're more diversified than Washington. And it's why I keep seeing Oregon winning this game, despite it being on the road. I think for me right now is I have to really convince myself that this Oregon defense is that much better. And I I know the numbers said that they are, and the eye test says that they are, but they haven't had too many tests. Uh, You know, the Texas Tech game, there were some struggles defensively in that game, whether it was missed tackles. They had some, you know, big uh, defensive PIs in that one. Are you ready to and willing to say that this defense is going to win this game for Oregon? Because I don't have any questions about the offense. I think even though the offense has shown some struggles as well, you know they're going to put up you know, 35 points probably. Can the defense hold that Washington pass attack who has been dominant all season? I think that's the one question I have, John, is just how does the defense stand up to Michael Penix? Last season they couldn't do it. Can they do it this year? Over-under on this game is 67-and-a-half. Do you think the winner of this team has – 35, 37, 40 points. Who, how many points does the winner have? I think over 35. I think 35 is kind of like you get, you're probably going to get to 35. Whoever can get more than 35 is going to win this game. I, I just I don't know how these offenses are really going to be stopped by both of these teams. The, the offenses are just too powerful. Who's going to stop Bo Nix in Oregon? And I also th- I, I kind of think, too, like, we watched one of the things that UCLA did really effectively against Washington State is it got Washington State off the field. If Oregon can get Michael Penix Jr. off the field and, you know, have the extended possessions where Bo Nix is, you know, piecing together eight, 11, nine play drives and Oregon's getting sevens, you know, you, you don't ever feel safe with Michael Penix Jr. on the field. But I, I just keep coming back to that. And then here's the, here's the wild card for me. Because normally the home field to me is the deciding thing. If this normally I would pick Washington in this game because hey, two really good offenses, this could be a really close game. The home team big advantage in this game. But I think there's a little bit of the Colorado factor working in the background for Oregon. Remember how juiced Oregon was in front of the Colorado game. Remember how locked in they were, how sick and tired, you know, Oregon appeared to be with Colorado and Coach Prime getting all of the limelight, all of the social media mentions, all of the um, you know, all of the run up to that game was very emotionally filled. Rooted in substance, not flash. Rooted in substance. Today we talk with our pads. You talk with your helmet, right? Every moment. The Cinderella story is over, man. Right? They're fighting for clicks. We're fighting for wins. There's a difference, right? There's a difference. Right? This game ain't going to be played in Hollywood. It's going to be played on the grass. Right? It's going to be played on the grass. Let's go. All right. Tell me I'm wrong, but last year, 37-34, Bo Nix gets hurt. There was a little bit of, you know, snarkiness at the end of the game. Oregon didn't like the way the Washington players were tackling Bo Nix. You can't tell me Oregon's not going to go in there with a little bit more to play for, given the way that Washington spoiled their season and hurt their quarterback. 100%. They're gonna, that's out there. Lane's going to use it as motivation. You know that. Um, but how much does that matter actually on the field? Does that make a big difference? I don't know. If you're really about substance, what you're really hung up on is what's next, right? And what's next for our players? Um, I'm glad that we got to put Oregon in the light that Oregon deserves to be in. Um, but it's really not about anything else other than our team, right, and getting our team ready to go play. And now we got to go get ready for the next one, right? We do- Washington, Oregon coming up.
I had a lot of fun today writing about Michael Penix Jr., the Washington quarterback, Bo Nix, the Oregon quarterback. You can read it at johnconzano.com. If you have a subscription, you got it in real time. Go to johnconzano.com if you want to read me. This hour, Bruce Barnum will join us. How many times will Bruce Barnum have to be bleeped on this show? Over, under, one and a half. Steven, over, under? Over. Uh, he's been in a cursing mood. It's the middle of the season. He's getting ready for the games. Uh, give me over on that one. Listen for it during the Bruce Barnum interview. Anna is not in studio, which means I'm eyeballing the bag of candy, but I'm not going to go on a diatribe about the candy. Is today. she on the injury list with the haircut? Is that why she's out today? <laughs> no, her, her aunt who was visiting from Taiwan, needed a ride back to the airport. So she is transporting her after she'd been in, traveling around the U.S. for a couple of weeks. Or she's been staying with us for a week. And uh, she's on her way back to the airport. And so she needed to make that run to see her off. And so she's not here for the 5 at 5. You're going to fill in. You're amped. You're hydrated. You're ready to go. Steven. You got the biggest five stories. Let's do it. The Five at Five. Where do we start? We're going to start in L.A., John. Uh, Ryan Karchi is a beat writer for the L.A. Times about USC football. He put out a very interesting piece about Lincoln Riley today. Uh, Lincoln Riley just turned 40 back in September. But uh, Karchi was, you know, had an exclusive interview with Lincoln Riley, and uh, Riley has a new sense of what he wants to do with his life ever since some of his friends, Dave Nickel, who was an assistant coach, he got diagnosed with cancer and died. And then Mike Leach, after he passed away, um, in a recent interview, Lincoln Riley said, you know, maybe he'll leave the game at 50 years old, or who knows, maybe he'll leave at 65. But uh, it said Lincoln Riley retiring at the age of 50, his quote was, had always kind of been my stance, end quote. Riley went on to say that he's talked to Sean McVay about the demands of coaching in early retirement. And he did say that uh, he really envies the way that NFL coaching is. The lifestyle of the NFL coaches, he said, is awesome in a lot of ways. And quote, he said, quote, once their season is done, life is a lot different than a college coach out of season. End quote. Uh, last season, after their bowl loss to Tulane, the staff barely had 24 hours just before they started recruiting potential transfers because of how much recruiting and how much rebuilding they had to do at USC. Um, Riley's other quote that I thought was interesting, he said, I know right now there are things I want to do. I don't want to have regrets when I'm done at the end of my life. I do think about that. I just don't want to have regrets, especially with anything that has to do with my family. It's hard not to consider the possibility of starting over in life, end quote. Um, Is this a sign that maybe he's interested in going to the NFL? He's never expressed interest in coaching the NFL, whether he wants to or not. But some of his quotes kind of say, you know what? Less recruiting, more coaching is what he would want to do. It's it's a sign of that, but it's also, I think, a cautionary table tale to some of these college programs that are throwing ten or eleven million dollars a year at college coaches, because part of what goes with that is the financial autonomy that is attached with a coach being able to say, "Hey, I don't need the money." You know, Lincoln Riley's making eleven million dollars a year. He's the second highest paid coach in college football behind Kirby Smart at Georgia. You know, Nick Saban's after him. And I think, you know, you look at some of the paychecks that these coaches are getting and you go, 
Well, if it's not fun for them, they are more inclined to say, hey, I'm out. I'm walking away. I don't need the money. We heard that in talking with Chris Peterson, the former Washington coach. We have seen coaches like David Shaw, who was making almost $9 million a year, walk away. There just becomes a point where they've got the financial freedom. And if it's not enjoyable anymore, and NIL, Transfer Portal, have changed the, the, the game of coaching, uh, yeah, you can see some of these guys going and saying, "Yeah, I don't need it. I'll, I'll, I'll go to the NFL, or I'll go be an analyst on TV, or yeah, I'll, I'll say, sit like, on a beach." Just like Chris Peters said, "Just go be an analyst and a much less ta- or you know taxing job on yourself." And it, it, this really came into perspective for Riley. It said uh, because his friend Nickel, who Dave Nickel, who gave him his chance as a player and a coach, and then of course his uh, mentor Mike Leach, who he started out with Texas Tech as a coach as well, just kind of put everything in perspective uh, with them dying so early. So. Uh, you know, just something I thought it was very interesting with Lincoln Bradley. Look, I'll tell you this. You don't have to be a football coach making $11 million a year to be thinking about, hey, I want to retire early or I don't want to do this forever. Hell, I'll tell you, I have the conversation with Anna all the time. I'm not going to be that old guy in the press box, you know, who's anchoring down the spot and people are going, why is that guy still showing up? That's not going to be me. Like, I won't be doing this radio show beyond when it stops being fun, you know, uh, Judah, you and I had had coffee yesterday. We talked about that a little bit. Like, it's got to be fun. You got to be enjoying what you're doing. Or what's the point of it? Like, you know, I think part of that, too, is the pandemic has done that to some of us with a whole bunch of people kind of reevaluating their life circumstances. But college football coaches, let's be clear, when you're making 10 or $11 million a year, you, you have the financial freedom to be able to go, eh, I'll go do something else. And there's not a lot of professions you can do that in. Number two. Sad news is NHL analyst Barry Melrose, he has announced that he has Parkinson's disease and will be retiring from ESPN. He said that he's had over 50 extraordinary years playing, coaching, analyzing the world's greatest game, which is hockey. It's now time to hang up my skates and focus on my health, my family, including my supportive wife, Cindy, and whatever comes next. And quote Melrose said in a statement, uh, Melrose, he is 67 years old, John. The last time he coached was in 2008 with the Tampa Bay Lightning, but um, I think he's most known as being the hockey analyst on ESPN and uh, doing a great job there, even as a guy who's not a big hockey fan. Uh, I know who Barry Melrose is, and I know yeah. he always does a great job. Very entertaining uh, when he was on TV, so a little bit of sad news there. Yeah, really sharp uh, guy, uh, witty guy, and made hockey interesting. 67 years old. Parkinson's disease um, I'm you know and I'm glad you know he's getting out we've seen others who have been afflicted with Parkinson's who can you know you can get out there's some things you can do medically to try to you know it, I guess give you some longevity and and stave off that disease but you know I, I'm glad he's focusing on what he needs to be doing and again he's 67 there's no point in being in an ESPN broadcast booth beyond that unless you're really having fun Number three. Dean Kramer is the pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles. He's actually starting game three tonight in Texas. Um, he is the first Israeli drafted player in the Major League Draft ever when he got drafted back in 2015. He plays for Israel in the World Baseball Classic. His family's still over there. And, of course, Israel is in a war right now. Kramer was asked, though, if he'd have any hesitation pitching it tonight. And here's what he had to say. Yeah, he, he came up to me yesterday. I mean, he's, he's had his hands full with uh, all the stuff going on with the playoffs. Um, but him and, and almost every single person in the clubhouse has come in and checked on me at, at, at some point over the last two, uh, 48 hours, um, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, is there a hesitation? 
no, I, 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 st I still want to pitch, but, I mean, it, it's going to be in the back of my head. Obvious distraction there for uh, Dean there as, you know, his family, his thoughts and prayers are going over there back home. Uh, Kramer had an excellent year with the O's, 13-5 and five with a 4-1-2 ERA. Baltimore, they were the one seed in the American League with Adley Rutschman, of course, but they are down 2-0 well in this series to Texas. Uh, Nathan Eovaldi on the mound for the Rangers. Makes his first career postseason start tonight. He'll have uh, something extra on his mind. Does he bear down? Does he uh, focus more? He's got dual citizenship, Israeli and American dual citizenship. But uh, does he focus? Does he turn in a performance for the ages? I think it's going to be fun it, to it, watch this. It's and, just one of those things where we forget these athletes are real people, you know, and like stuff is going on and just the craziness that's going on in his life. And yeah. he just has to put it to the side and say, you know what, I, I, I want to pitch for my team. These are my guys. I've been there all season long with them. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see how that goes. And I think we're all just rooting for that guy. Yeah, and the images that we're seeing that, you know, from overseas of the destruction and the bombing and lives and, you know, it's civilians caught in the crossfire. It's uh, it's horrific stuff. And so uh, I'm glad that, you know, people are talking baseball but thinking about what is going on in Israel with family members of uh, Dean Kramer. Number four, right? Yes, number four. Yeah. John, tonight is the night. The Scoot Henderson era is officially beginning for the Portland Trailblazers as they take on the New Zealand Breakers of the NBL, NBL uh, at the Motor Center. Now, this game will not be on TV tonight, but uh, as you know, more, mm. a lot of fans are mad about it, but I will say this, John, in defense of uh, the TV thing, a lot of NBA games, most NBA games between NBA teams and non-NBA teams are not they're usually not televised. So this isn't this isn't a Blazer thing. You know, I'm you know, I'll be I'll be critics I'll criticize the Blazers if I have to. I'm not very critical in this situation. But Xfinity, they did announce that Root Sports will no longer be a part of the regular package. It'll be part of their higher tier package. Now that oh. does have an effect on Portland Trailblazer basketball as interesting time to put it out. The first night of preseason, the Blazers come back, everyone's excited. Hey, we're gonna raise your prizes prices if you wanna watch the Portland Trailblazers this season, so a lot of Blazers fans not happy with the Root Package since it began. This certainly not going to help. Yeah, Blazers and Root Sports, come on. You're making it so hard for fans to watch your games, and and you make it difficult for fans to be fans by extension of this. I hated the announcement that came from Root Sports. They basically told customers, hey, we've, remo we've moved this, the Root Sports package to a different package. And by the way, we're giving you $6.06 back. What they didn't say is, if you want to get Root Sports, you got to pay more than $6.06 to get the more expensive package. I think it's like 25 to 30 bucks extra. I want to say that. It's, um, I don't like it. Blazers. Everybody else is focused on wide distribution. Salt Lake City. Broadcasting their games. You need an antenna to get the games. Phoenix saying, hey. We want wide distribution. We want to get our product to everybody in the TV market. If you have a TV antenna, you can get the games. Blazers going, hey, Root Sports, let's squeeze a little more money out of Blazer fans. This is not the season to do it in. It has the potential to blow up in their face. Yeah, I think you're right on that. This is not the season because this is the, this is the time where you can get fans for life. Like, I think about my kids, and the Blazers aren't going to be very good, but they're a young team that should be really exciting and if you get a fan on board now when they're exciting, if they turn out to be good in the next couple seasons, you've already got them in. So I do think this is an important season for the Trailblazers, and it is disappointing that this has happened. Number five. 
Well, five new sports have been proposed for the 2028 Olympic Games in Los Angeles. Those sports will be baseball, softball, which I count as one, cricket, lacrosse. (laughs) That's just how the article had it. So six, I guess. But baseball, okay, baseball, softball, cricket, lacrosse, squash, and flag football. Now, squash and flag football, they have never been Olympic Games, so this would be brand new if they are to be approved. While cricket has been in the Olympics one time back in 1900 in Paris, Lacrosse appeared in the Olympics in 1904 in St. Louis and in 1908 in London, while baseball was introduced as a medal event in the 92 Olympics in Barcelona. Softball was added 96 in Atlanta. But baseball and softball were removed, but now they could be back uh, as part of the 2028 Olympic Games in Los Angeles. Well, here you go, Olympics. We've gone from Al Michaels. You've got 10 seconds. From Al Michaels to flag football, can you count that? Shouldn't USA just be dominant at flag football? Also, like this is our game. <laughs> seven on seven football. Let's send out Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey out there. <laughs> Tyreek Hill. What would be your team? Your best team? I, I think it would better better yet than the Kansas City but, Chiefs in twenty twenty. Yeah, That's what. It just is. take yeah, just take a team. And just say, all right, just take your quarterback and your uh, tight end and your uh, best offensive player. Like you don't, it, It's not about putting an all-star team together. Just put Mike McDaniel out there and say, bring the Dolphins. <laughs> yeah, you, take, you just take like the college champion, the national champion, and say, hey, you know what, you're going to go against you know, Russia now and China and flag football. But, uh, yeah, I, I think USA should dominate flag football. But, John, what, would you, what sport would you play in these new ones? Baseball? Football. Oh, I think they should have beer league softball as a sport instead of, like, real softball. Shouldn't be fast pitch. Like old fat dudes out there playing softball? Yeah, a bunch of guys from, like, Woodburn, you know, coming out. Our Olympic team should be, like, when they're walking through the airport and they got their medals around their necks, people should be like, is that a curling team? Is that a, what, oh, that's the Olympic softball team, the beer league softball team. Do you have a favorite Olympic sport that, you know, it's not like a mainstream sport in America, but when it comes on the Olympics, you're like, oh, yeah, I love this. I, I better yet, it's, I saw it in person in Athens in 2004 for the first time. Let me guess, I, handball. I, yes. Handball is the best. I love handball. Yes. I'm with you. Phenomenal game. I kept thinking, I, I went to watch handball. I just happened to be walking through the Olympic Park with John Branch of the New York Times, and we were walking by the handball venue. We got media credentials on, and we had nothing to do. And I said, hey, let's go check out handball. You know, and, and I got inside, and we sat down. There was nobody in there. There was a bunch of European fans, that sparse attendance. And we sat down in the front row, and I my jaw dropped. And I was like, oh, my gosh, Kevin Durant was born for this game. He, with his length and his athleticism, can you imagine him taking off from outside the arc? I, I have a hot take, John. Because handball is not super popular, I feel like had I focused on handball when I was a kid, I could be on the U.S. Olympic team of handball. Probably could. Like, I, I think I, I was bored. I'm 6'2", I'm strong, I can throw, I'm physical. I feel like I could be a professional handball player had I focused on it, but my yeah. parents pushed basketball. Come on, parents. But every all these European teams like Germany and, and, and others, they all had like a Nikola Jokic character <laughs> on their team. Where you looked at him and you were kind of like Fat Nicola, not the in-shape Nicola that we got in the last couple seasons. But they had, had this guy that they kind of ran their offense through that you would all go, like, that guy's an athlete. And then and then you realize he's like Sabonis. Just, like, no, just no, like, passes out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Just phenomenal player. But 
I think handball was great. I went and saw ping pong in person. And the, and the racket about ping pong, literally, is that even the American team, when you start doing research on it, it it's like they're from Beijing. And the team from Athens is from Beijing. And you start to go through the rosters and you realize that it, this is a bunch of, you know, people who grew up playing ping pong in other countries that have gone to get dual citizenship and turned it into a racket. So uh, ping pong was kind of cool to see that, just to see the environment, watch the ball fly back and forth like it was Forrest Gump playing ping pong. Uh, I also think um, there can be too much of a good thing. I remember going into rhythmic gymnastics and being mesmerized for about 15 minutes and then realizing it just looked like the same routine over and over again with the ribbons and the balls and I was like, I got to get up and get out of here, but I don't want everybody to see me leaving. Like, I'm walking out on these Olympic athletes that have trained their entire lives for this moment, but I was bored. As a true degenerate, I'm not afraid to admit that I've bet on Olympic handball before. (laughs) There you go. By the way, uh, how about James Franklin coaches the flag football team? Would you go for that? Yeah, just uh, just don't throw it deep. For no reason. Yeah, here we are in the Olympic News Conference. James Franklin of, T- of Team USA responding to a report. Hey, good afternoon, James. Hey, Corey. A follow-up to what uh, you were just asked there about Drew. Is there a balance, though, between, hey, we need you to throw the ball deep no matter Just take a shot. Don't, don't overthink it. Take a shot. We need to see it. We're going to call it. And we need you to get some confidence in doing this as opposed to even giving – a young quarterback the chance to say, hey, just check it down if, if, if it's not there. I, I don't really understand what you're saying because we would never. Like, I'm like, my skin is curling when you say just drop back and chuck it deep no matter what. Like, like that is like, I, I don't even know what you're, I don't know what you're saying. It's like you're speaking, like, from Mars. Just send a guy on a post pattern, take the shot, throw it. No matter it. what. Give your receiver a chance to make a play on a ball. Uh, even if he might be covered 30 yards down the field, maybe you think he'll be open 45 yards down the field and, and like Godwin did or with Jahan or KJ. We, you, we've you, ne- we, like, like, I still don't, like, you're speaking Japanese. Like, like we, we have never done that. Just throw the ball up and maybe he'll be open and maybe he'll catch. Like, my skin is like... Like my, I'm, my, like I, you're making me uncomfortable. Like I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. So okay. yeah, we 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 would not do that. We would never do that. We've never thought about doing that as a head coach, as an offensive coordinator, as a receivers coach. I coached the receivers. I didn't want them to do that. Um, so no, no, strong no. Like yeah, no. I gotta ask Bruce Barnum, Portland State coach, when he gets asked a question like that, how does he handle it? You need to ask Coach Barnum if he's ever just thrown it deep for no reason. Hey, yeah, no matter yeah, what, just throw it deep. Do you just say, "Hey, take a shot, give your receiver a chance to uh, make a play," you know, give your guy a chance, throw it up, see what happens. I'll ask Bruce Barnum coming up uh, if he ever does that. Leave it here. Bruce Barnum joins us every week, the Portland State football coach. Always, uh, always interesting. Always has uh, something to say, stories to tell. 
spits truth. I like the guy. He comes on the show. They're playing. Uh, obviously, Portland State trying to uh, right the ship after a bye week. They're playing at Northern Arizona on Saturday. Bruce Barnum, here to talk about it. How you doing? Hey, what's up? How you doing, Joe? How, how was the bye week for you? BYE, we whooped them. We whooped them. We took on BYE, and we just boat raced them. Um, it was all right. You know, like I, I told you last week, uh, I was a little uptight and out of sight because of the boat situation. But we uh, got healthy, you know. We stayed healthy, and we got ahead on Northern Arizona, you know. And you go through all that stuff, and you come back to it and say, hey, way too much. And then you watch all the games on Saturday, right, because you got DVR. And there's some big ones. It started at 9 o'clock in the morning, that one. Uh, the Texas, you know, river runs through it. Um, and then you had the one guy that, that was at Oregon, you know. Uh, you know, <laughs> you needed to pull a Kaepernick on that one, I think. But anyway, we're ready to go. I'm headed to the Lumberjacks. All right, let me ask you, did you have a hard time sitting out a Saturday? As a coach, are you watching the games go on? Are you feeling like I should be somewhere on a sideline, or is it okay? Are you comfortable sitting and watching? Well, it, it's odd. No, it's different, you know, because you're in a routine. It's season. You work all year for it. Uh, bam, bye we kids. You do it, you know, and uh, ready to go, you know. But no one uh, – I like my team still, John. I mean, we played the best. Second best in FCS, and we played some the big guys, and we beat a little, couple little guys or one our size. And I still, you know, I think we have a good team. I think my offense is electric, and my defense is getting better. And my special teams, you know, you never know. There are a bunch of wild banshees out there, like the Island of Misfit Toys. You know, uh, we every week we reteach. Uh, you can't do the one block in uh, football anymore, the uh, blindsider. And I don't think they do it on purpose. They just run around with such havoc. <laughs> We've had two blindside blocks, and I just roll my eyes. Like, what are we doing? But then you talk to the guys. Coach, I said, go to the hard side. All right. All right. Don't get another one. So we're having fun. Ready to go. Bruce Barnum's with us. Northern Arizona, I'm looking at their games. They beat Montana. They played Sac State really close. They beat Weber State. Uh, what do you see on film? No, they're playing good football, you know. They're playing good football. I have a lot of respect. I worked with their head coach uh, many moons ago, you know, uh, when my kids were, you know, not potty trained, diaper stage. I knew Chris and I have known each other. Um, he's a good coach. He's a good recruiter. He's one. Uh, he recruited Jared Allen, a kid we had. Everybody claims Jared Allen. You know, I recruited Jared. Oh, I know him. I'm his best friend. Um, but Chris is actually the guy that recruited him, so I respect his recruiting. Um, he's a good guy, but, you know, they sold it out. That'll be fun for my guys, you know, going down there to or up there. Uh, we canceled the trip, I told you, because uh, we, we fly in Thursday. We're going to practice here. We're going to fly into Phoenix. We're going to feed them at an outdoor mart. Then we're going to throw them in a hotel. We're gonna, we were going to. Do the Tim Boyle, he makes National Park hats now. Hmm. I was going to have a, uh, what's it called, the Grand Canyon hat on every seat go up. But then I found out it's an hour. We, we Google mapped it. You can punch in, like, how far from Flagstaff to that. And we did that. And it's like an hour and 20 minutes. So we scratched that trip. So we're just going up there to play football. Uh, it would be fun. 
Then we're going to charter home. I, I bought half a charter. I can't couldn't afford a full one, but we're chartering home. So after the game, uh, we go right out to Flagstaff Airport. Shoo, come home and get ready for two home games. That's so, pretty nice. You get out of there. Yeah, in and out like the, you know the sneaky people in, in the service. It'll be fun. I like that. You got you're you're on a mission. You guys are on a mission going into uh, Flagstaff against Northern Arizona. Health wise, by week you get healthy, all the way healthy. Well, I'm healthy. Yeah, I'm feeling good. Feeling good. I'm doing my little. They're banged up, but there's the over. We, we we bought a nice ice tub <laughs> a while. What do you mean? Yeah, nothing. Go. We bought a nice big. We have oh. like the biggest ice tub in America downstairs. I yes. swear to God, you can put twenty five people in there, you know, or more. They got pissed at me. I had them. I told them you can jump off this top thing. I told them that's legal. The trainers got mad at me. They broke something, and I put a bunch of beach balls down there. And they're like, Barnum, you can't do this. So we got rid of those. But you know, we we have the equipment. We got healthy. We're, we're ready to go. Coach, we're ready to go. I want to play a clip for you. James Franklin, the Penn State coach. Well, uh, I, think, I worked I think with him. I worked you know with him. him, right? What was oh, he yeah. like? Freak, What's Freak he like? Frank loved him. The greatest guy in America. Okay. Great family. Um, nicknamed Freaky Frank. We won't go into that, you know. <laughs> let me uh, let me tell you this. I'm going to play this. What did clip he for do? You. What did okay. he do now? He has a, a reporter asked him a stupid question. Okay. Okay. All right. Here's Franklin. He's a little frustrated. Listen to the reporter's question, and then I want to ask you. Did something. they lose? Did they win or lose? They're just here. Listen to the question. Right. Hey, good afternoon, James. Hey, Corey. A follow-up to what uh, you were just asked there about Drew. Is there a balance though between hey, we need you to throw the ball deep, no matter. Just take a shot. Don't don't overthink it. Take a shot. We need to see it. We're going to call it, and we need you to get some confidence in doing this as opposed to even giving a young quarterback the chance of say, hey, just check it down if, if, if it's not there. I, I don't really understand what you're saying because we would never. Like, I'm like, my skin is curling when you say just drop back and chuck it deep no matter what. Like, like that is like... I don't even know what you're. I don't know what you're saying. It's like you're speaking, like from Mars. Just send a guy in a post pattern. Take the shot. Throw it. No matter what. Give your receiver a chance to make a play on a ball. Uh, even if he might be covered thirty yards down the field, maybe you think he'll be open forty-five yards down the field, and, and like Godwin did, or with Jahan or KJ. We, you, we've you, ne- we, like like I still don't like you're speaking Japanese like. Like, we have never done that. Just throw the ball up, and maybe he'll be open, and maybe he'll catch. Like, my skin is like, like, my, I'm, my, like you're making me uncomfortable. Like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. So, okay. yeah, we, we, we would not do that. We would never do that. We've never thought about doing that as a head coach, as an offensive coordinator, as a receivers coach. I coached the receivers. I didn't want them to do that. Um, so no, no, strong, no, like, yeah, no. All right. Uh, what do you think of that? Well, the the situation, I'm trying to picture the situation. Obviously the Corey thought they should 
Oh, they must have been losing. They thought they should just check it to some guy who's a star. He's on a bye week, and I guess he's complaining that they only beat Northwestern 41-13 the week before, and they ought to throw it up a little more. You no, know, the, I don't know. I think uh, just listening and knowing him, I think he has some history with Corey he doesn't like. That's a reporter. Uh, he called the reporter by his name. Yeah. I don't know if he respects him, and he obviously didn't respect the question, the skin thing, you know, curling, yeah. that's a little too much. It's not Halloween week, but, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it, gibberish. That's a gibberish question, I would yeah. say, you know. Yeah. What do you do, though, in, you know, because what do you do when you get asked a dumb question? Short. I try to keep it short, you know. Sure. You know, <laughs> why didn't you do this? Well, you know, I'm not playing. You know, uh, if they make it up, you can make it up. You know, match a, match, match a chicken with a chicken. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> match a chicken with a chicken. I love that. Um, what, what do you know about Franklin? Like, give me an idea, because in the coaching business. <laughs> He's a hell of a recruiter. Yeah. James Franklin can sell you oceanfront property in Arizona. That's a song. Uh, he he can. He is one of the top recruiters I've ever met. Um, he's electric personality. He walks in a room. You know, he shaves his head. He looks better than me. You know, he's he's pow. He's a pow guy. You know, I'm more of a you know. Hey, is that Rodney Dangerfield? You know, it, it's it's total respect. He demands respect. That, that's his persona. He's just a good guy. James Franklin's a good guy. I don't care what Corey, you know, thinks he should be chucking it deep. You know, he did a hell of a job at Vanderbilt. You know, I always joke with James Franklin. Here's a little insight. Because we, we text back and forth once in a while. And uh, I always joke with him. I said, Frank, I said, you'll never hire me. I understand why. I said, I know too much. <laughs> I said, I know where the bodies are buried. Yeah. And he laughs. I said, you don't want me at that table. You know, there's no way in hell you want Franklin's stories flying. Because, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a, uh, whatever, power, you know, five yeah. guy now. He's got a new identity now. New identity. Yeah. Yep. He's, yep. he's like one of these guys that's been through the witness protection, and now he's emerged at a power five school and, you know, got to leave some of that other stuff behind. Yeah, but old Frank, he's he'll dance with the one that brung him. You know, he knows he knows where he came from. Down deep, when he goes home, he, he, he's a, you would like him. You because know, I know some other guys. I mean, all kinds of guys out there. Somebody asked me to write a book about all the people in the profession right now that I work for, and some of it's already public. You know, I work with uh, Jeff Banks. You know, he's in Texas right now. He's the one who's. Uh, well, <laughs> His wife last Halloween, uh, her monkey bit a, a, a trick or treater. You know, that's right. Some things, some some things you can't make up. But you know, and, and Banksy called me. Banksy called. You know, it was like four days after. He's like, "Hey, Barney, how you doing?" I'm like, "Banks, for you to be calling me um, <laughs> during the season." I said, "I said you're missing some friends." They're Red Rider, <laughs> and he kind of laughed. <laughs> I said, "Give it time, give it time. Somebody else is going to screw something up, and you'll be off the books." But anyway, um, but no, nothing honestly bad to say about James Franklin. He's a he's a hell of a guy. Let me ask you: When you're putting together a staff as a head coach, 
you obviously, you know, you're doing it on the fly when you first get the job, or maybe you go from interim at Portland State to the head coach. But how do you, like, what, you know, the makeup of the staff, the way the staff works together, the culture and the chemistry in the room, and guys that'll question you but not be a problem. Like, you know, what? how do you approach that? Well, uh, first off, you have to look at your budget, you know, because I get a lot of buddies out there I can't afford. Uh, people, I, try, I say buddies, guys that know football, great teachers, um, uh, but you, you don't have the money to buy them from where they're at, you know. So you see what you're dealing with, and from there you want loyalty. I want somebody, I, I told you this before, somebody I have some type of history with, you know, because this profession um, probably magnified more than others, you know, when it goes bad, <laughs> <laughs> You're with those people in that room. I mean, even your brass can turn against you. Um, so that's the people you're doing it with. That's the people you're trying to change it with or keep riding it with. So uh, trust is number one. You know, are they good teachers? Uh, you said something I don't agree with. I don't want a bunch of yes men. I want people questioning me. I love. That's what I said. I said you got to get a well, guy you... questions you, but you also don't want him to be a problem. You want well, it to be like challenge exactly. me, but don't be a problem. And I've had those. I've had those. You know, that's when you have to wash guys out um, because they're, you know, ulterior motives. They want your job. You know, they're they're doing something for them. They're not they're not part of the mission. It's easy to see. You know, it's just a question of when you can cut bait on situations like that. But and right now, I love my staff. I mean, I think it, you can see it in my team. You can see it on the energy on the field. I mean, I've got young. I've got old. I've got guys in between. You're still, you know, teaching. And i got some great minds right now and some great teachers. How do you get rid of, how do you get rid of a coach? Do you, is it better to foist them onto another staff, like give them a recommendation, let them get a job somewhere else? I would never do that to anybody I knew. I wouldn't recommend somebody that I didn't. You know that I had issues with. Uh, I try to give them. I'm probably too nice, honestly. I give them a long leash. I I give them a lot of hints. Um, I take too long with it. I probably um, hurt things here hanging on to guys too long. But live and learn. You know. <laughs> now, now that I'm getting older, it's kind of a you know, now I'd say, all right, if we don't have this, uh, you guys don't even come to my office. Uh, just pack your bags. <laughs> you know, now I'm, they're like, is he joking? But, you know, you want what's best for the players and their experience here. And that's, uh, if they're having a good experience, it's going to, you know, transfer on the field and how they attack the game. And, you know, if they're uh, having fun and enjoying it, and they everybody's bought in. When you don't have that, it's a you know it's a muddy murk. But you can't you know you got to be careful. Getting rid of somebody if you just want to cut bait. I mean, there's more uh, learn I, I've learned, and I haven't fired a lot of guys. I want them to. I try to get them to move on by themselves. But if you have to fire a guy, I mean, there's there's a bunch of steps to go through. You Bruce know. Barnum. Is with us. The standings in the Big Sky Conference. We're we're used to seeing Montana, Montana State, at the top of the standings, but Idaho is sitting there. Northern Arizona, Sac State. You guys are within striking distance of the top at one and one in conference play. Uh, this is a big one for you. But what do you make of what Idaho is doing right now in Big Sky play? 
Well, they're they're doing a nice job with the portal. You know, they that's how they wanted to do. It. They brought don't get me wrong. They brought in some quality freshmen, but they're filling it with some portals, and they're actually doing something unique in recruiting um, that we ran across last year. It kind of caught me off guard, but all right, that's unique. They're thinking outside the box. They are. They'll offer a guy. Okay, I come into your house. Hey, uh, John, we want want you to play. Uh, let me think. <laughs> what would you play? <laughs> we want you to uh, wide receiver. You're a skilled kid, right? You're fast. That's what I play. You've got yeah. Great hands. You know, I can yeah. I can see it in you. Uh, many moons ago, but they are coming into a house and saying, "Listen, if you have a great year, you put up the numbers." You get us to the playoffs. We'll get you a place to go. That's how they're recruiting. They're not talking, you know, long term. They're talking seven eleven. You know, <laughs> Slurpee day. Uh, come in, get a banana Slurpee if we're out of Coca Cola, and we're going to get you a, a better gig. And guys, some kids bought into it. You know, it's unique. There's a thousand ways to recruit. It's not a science, but that's an attack that they've had to try to get a little better student athlete there. You know. And and hey, they have they have a cool stadium. I mean, they have facilities. They have, they're recruiting to something too. When you bring a guy on campus, you know, it's not a bad look. Except for that, that <laughs> my kids were over there when that guy is accused of the house thing. I mean, they're, I don't know how much they had to deal with that. The, the guy went in the house. Somebody went in the house at night, stabbed those poor kids. So there's a black eye there, but I think they made it through that, you know, because that happened. That's a small community, and for that yeah. to hit a community like that, that was a sad-ass yeah. deal. Yep. Bruce Barnum, you're the best. Give them hell this weekend. Get get that W, get on the plane, get home. No, we will. And, hey, that uh, you got to Google that deal. Guys, uh, they told me it's up and running that I'm trying to help out that group of okay. church people over there okay. in uh maui wowie they you can go to our place our website bikes Commer, and uh buy a ticket through that and punch in the right button and you help those people out so I'm anyway thanks right, for having us i'm looking at it right now you go to govikes.com you can find the vikes pay it forward package for hawaii it's three featured games this season and if you uh buy a ticket and click the box Portland State will make a donation. Portland State football will make a donation to the relief fund there in Maui. Bruce Barnum, thank you. All right. Good to hear you. I'll talk to you. All right. There he goes. Holy hell. Steven. Steven, I think we I, I think we have a new American record. Uh, yeah, it flew over the over. Uh, I had five. <laughs> and there was a there was a six. I think there might have been a six. There was some, there there's some close calls where he's like a, you know, he could hear the F word coming. But he like changed it, so I you know I let it slide. Uh, there was one one close call that I don't know if it's worked out. So hopefully it uh, got got bumped out. But yeah, I got I had five. John that flew over. I mean the one and a half it flew over like the first minute. He had two like the I, first. I almost first felt answer. like he knew that you know that he had been listening and he knew that there was an over under on his curse words. Well, I knew it was gonna be it was gonna be trouble when Judah goes. He goes yeah, just in the phone call he's already done it twice. Uh, and so I was like, yeah, you know, he's he's just getting to play. Like, yeah, football he had, coach. He had the bye week. He's ready to get after somebody. You know, he's ready to hit someone. I almost took the under because I thought he's coming off a bye week. He's going to be relaxed. He's going to be in a different frame of mind. He's, and He's chomping at the bit, John. I got a new one. We should just have our listeners, every time Bruce Barnum 
uses a curse word, you get a dollar for the Maui Relief Fund, and the Vikes will pay it forward for Hawaii. Well, we got or, pri- well, we got prizes to give out. <laughs> Callers, predict how many cusses Bruce Barnum gives. Or you can go to GoVikes.com, get tickets for their final home games of the season, and if you click the box, they will pay it forward and make a donation to the church there in Maui that they have decided to support. Help out Bruce Barnum. Help out people in Hawaii. Hell, you don't even have to go to the game. Just buy the tickets and click the box. Leave it here. You got the BFT. Good stuff from Bruce Barnum, Portland State football coach. A little bit of NBA news in the NBA preseason. What is, what just happened, Stephen? Uh, yeah, uh, Dylan Brooks signed a big contract with the Houston Rockets, but John, money will not change Dylan Brooks. Five minutes into the preseason, uh, punches Daniel Tice below the belt on a screen, and he has been ejected. So uh, right where he left off from last year. Why? Why would he do that? Uh, what is he after? Maybe is that unfinished business from uh, last season or just Dylan Brooks? Maybe he just didn't want to play in the preseason game, I guess. I don't know. He's just like, ah, with the day Interesting. off. Interesting. Interesting. But, I mean, uh, you know, money money can't change that guy. He's going to play the way he plays. Well, keep an eye on that. Uh, Blazers tonight. Is it Blazers against Blazers? What's, uh, Breakers. Breakers against Blazers. The Portland Breakers. No, the New Zealand Breakers uh, of the NBL. What's the spread on that one? 21. I uh, As the degenerate that I am, I looked it up. 21 over under 220. I will take the Blazers and lay the 21. I'll take the Breakers. I'll take the 21. It's too many points, John. <laughs> I, I think I can. I think you, I can. Said it. you said it with such uh, conviction. You just got to be confident. It's like, you know, it's like a referee. If the referee makes a bad call, if you're confident in the call, it's more believable. So, yeah, it's easy. 21 points. Give them to me. Uh, I think it was Hiken. Maybe someone else tweeted out that uh, the starters are only expected to play the first half. So maybe it's a live bet situation where the second half you go breakers. Maybe. Perhaps. Or just or, don't watch the game because it's preseason versus the New Zealand breakers. You had me at uh, Blazers versus Blazers. I would have I would have been all <laughs> over it. But breakers. No. Out on that one. Uh, don't touch it. You're degenerate if you're betting on that. If you're betting on that, your next move is to be betting on go-kart racing in India. And you don't want to be doing that either. Um, all right, so tomorrow on the show, i got to set this up. We have Dan Lanning, University of Oregon football coach, will be joining us. Uh, it'll be He'll be in the 4 o'clock hour. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State, in the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, I am efforting Softy from KJR in Seattle. Likely Softy. On Thursday's show. Now, people may remember, Softy has made a number of appearances on this show over the years. We generally bring him on for, um, you know, uh, uh, this week, just for some entertainment, and he says stuff like this. This is the greatest thing that's happened to Oregon football in the past 30 years, and don't even try and say something different. You know, never mind, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the uh, you know, BCS National Championship game, the Final Four, the Rose Bowls, Mariota's Heisman Trophy, blah, blah, blah. All of that, and you know it, and your listeners know it, is secondary to the dominance that Oregon has established in the last 20 years over Washington. That is the absolute number one thing. That's your favorite thing, if you're an Oregon fan, about what's happened in the last 25 years since the Frickin' Kenny Wheaton game in the mid-90s is the way uh, Oregon has dominated UW, and, and nothing else is a close second. I said that one year. He's talking about Oregon's dominance of the series. Another time, uh, I asked him if he was scared. 
Was he scared of the Oregon football game? As far as the game on Saturday, am I scared? Am I fearful? First of all, I'm nervous for every freaking Husky game. That's number one. And number two, no, I'm not scared of Oregon. I mean, who the hell is Oregon beaten this year? They haven't beaten anybody. Yep. So, Softy from KJR in Seattle will be with us to talk about, um, you know, football game coming up. Uh, and maybe Oregon's uniform. The Oregon Ducks are sitting there at what, two and three? Is that right overall? Yep. Two and three, John? Two and three. Okay. They're two and three, and I'm still looking at flipping ESPN sending out Twitter alerts because of the uniforms that Oregon's going to wear for the game on Saturday. Who gives a damn? They're two and three. They're a non-factor from a national perspective, and ESPN is sending out alerts telling us what the hell uniform combination Oregon's going to wear on Saturday. Why do I care, and why should anybody care about that? And what the hell is this web foot nonsense? Are you kidding me? How ridiculous is that? You know what? Get a kicker, kick an extra point, and wear the same damn jersey for every home game like every other stake in college football team does. Tune in tomorrow on the BFT.